Good to have you here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us here on this Monday. Thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to as college football has uh, certainly given us a lot to talk about over the last several days with Rivalry Weekend. Now, of course, uh, comes all the coaching firings and changing uh, to the now jam-packed. It's always packed, but uh, even more so uh, transfer portal. We'll talk about that coming up in just a, a little bit as well. Buddy Martin of uh, Buddy Martin Show and uh, Gator Bait Media will join us coming up. We'll talk about uh, the new Gators head football coach in Billy Napier. Uh, also, Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI will join us as we get ready for the SEC championship game with Georgia and Alabama, the Iron Bowl, another classic uh, there as well. So plenty to get to on the show. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll look at all the changes taking place. Is Lincoln Riley going? Does that leave uh, LSU kind of sitting there going, what's happening? So much to get to on a Monday, fellas. And uh, we start just with obviously rivalry weekend was big. Oklahoma State beating uh, Oklahoma. Alabama coming back in the late stages to beat Auburn. So big. LSU, Texas A&M, late win. And then all the coaching changes on top of that. Where on earth do you start? Lincoln Riley dipping to go to Southern Cal. Billy Napier going to take over the Florida job, which leaves two guys that were maybe near the top of a lot of lists for LSU gone. Where do you even start here in this thing? Yeah, huge weekend and been really interested to get your perspective on the Billy Napier hire, obviously, at Florida, which I thought was a great hire. But you talk about the games on Saturday. The Iron Bowl was nuts. I mean, that finish was absolutely ridiculous. And if you want to look ahead a little bit, uh, the college football playoff, we're talking about a new group of teams, right? For a while, it was Ohio State and Oklahoma and Alabama. We're not even sure Alabama's going to be in, depending upon what happens this weekend. Oklahoma's not. Ohio State's not. But to me, the news of a very busy weekend, uh, and, and if you want to carry that over to today, some news this afternoon too, but was Lincoln Riley. You know, whether you bought into the Lincoln-Riley rumors or not, I think the rumors, been were that Lincoln Riley might go to LSU. There were some reports that it was basically already done. There were some reports that it was going to happen basically as soon as uh, Bedlam was over and a move did happen, but it's Lincoln Riley to SC. And to go to SC, to not go to LSU, to basically turn away from the opportunity to coach in the SEC with the Sooners coming into the league, even if you would have stayed at Oklahoma, uh, huge news. And I think the questions now are multifaceted. Uh, What is LSU doing? Who is LSU targeting? Remember, we're a little over two weeks away from the start of the early signing period. What is Oklahoma going to do? Bob Stoops, of all people, is going to be the interim for their bowl game. So news all over the place, transfer portal news this afternoon with some of the biggest names in college football. This has been a very busy couple of days, Ben. But I thought, talking about your Gators, uh, they got the the big win over Florida State on Saturday. I thought Billy Napier a great hire. Uh, To me, he checks off all the boxes. Maybe not the, the sexy name, the Lane Kiffin, the Lincoln Riley that we've seen rumored out there, but... Your thoughts on the Napier to Gainesville? Billy Napier, he did it. Uh, I mean, he done it the right way. I mean, uh, when you think about the fact that, I mean, coach on the Dabo, sweetie, coach on the, uh, you know, Nick Saban, understand what it what it takes to recruit at big time schools. Um, became a head coach. You look at BJ. You look at the success he's had at Louisiana since he's been there, competing in another Sun Belt championship against against uh, App State, and 
sometimes, you know, Scott Strickland, you know, uh, AD of Florida, he did it the right way. Behind the scenes, he knew the guy he wanted. He let all the rumors go. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of different names floating out there. We're talking about the Lane Kiffins of the world and so on and so forth. That you know, uh, But uh, Hugh Freezes and all these different names. But Billy Napier is a guy that doesn't lack confidence. He's not going to, quote, win the press conference. He's going to say things like, look, we're going to build a program. We're going to get – we're going we're gonna to build a program before we even talk about winning games because that's what you're supposed to do. If you build a program, the wins will come. But, yes, BJ and Kevin, I do think this guy's strictly went out there and got – because when you think about a school like Florida, it's about getting the guy you covered. It's not about what the national storylines are. It's not about what the narratives are. Who's the guy you want? Make sure you get him because Kevin, BJ, once again, I know we're going to get to it later on in the show. A seismic shift in college football happened because Lincoln Riley decided to go to USC. Give USC a lot of credit. They wanted a guy to say, look, our old, our former head coach, Coach Helton, he went to Georgia Southern. So who are we going to get? I didn't see, I didn't see Lincoln Riley ever leaving Oklahoma, but obviously, you know, money talks and you know what, you know what BS does. But hey, shout out to those Trojans. They went out there and de- definitely elevated themselves as one of the best programs again because of the coach they got. Shout out to my Florida Gators for getting the guy in Coach Napier, for which he was rumored to want the LSU job being in the state of Louisiana, but Florida got the guy they wanted. Now, Kevin and BJ is if you are a superpower. If you are a blue blood, if you are one of the uh, you know one of the teams that's called a, a part of the college football fabric, and you don't have a coach right now, do you do is it do you get the guy you want or do you get the guy who says yes? I'm happy that Florida got the guy they wanted. Obviously USC got the guy they wanted, but now you say to yourself, dude, if we a big time program and we cannot get the coach we want, how does that make us look? Yeah, and you're two weeks away from the early signing <sighs> period uh, as well, and you've got LSU. You've got Oklahoma open uh, there as far as just some big-time uh, football jobs that are out there. Of course, other guys, uh, Duke part of ways with David Cutcliffe. That's a, a guy that has been an excellent coach at numerous stops. Quarterback had Duke in six straight bowl games, uh, I believe, and at one point had a run of four or five quarterbacks in a row that all ended up playing in the National Football League out of Duke. So uh, that was uh, a heck of a job there. But uh, certainly uh, other guys could have openings in the coming weeks. Brent Venable's a candidate, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Uh, people talking about him. Would he go back to uh, to Oklahoma? That would leave Tennessee open. Shane Beamer's name has obviously been thrown around for that job uh, for potentially Virginia Tech. Would South Carolina uh, come back open? Uh, LSU, you got Mario Cristobal, Lane Kiffin, Mark Stoops, Dave Arreda. If any of those guys take uh, a job, you're talking about top 15 programs with a job opening, at least uh, sitting there right now. So uh, this coaching carousel is already absolutely nuts. And I think it's about to get crazier. And again, a lot of this stuff happening because of early signing period. And do, at least from a head coaching standpoint, players can say, hey, I may not know who the coordinators are, but I know who the head coach is going to be. But there's a lot of pressure to make a move and make a move quickly because you have early signing period. I mean, you're, you're talking about Oklahoma. You're two weeks out from the early signing period. Four of your top recruits are from L.A., where your former head coach now is going. And they all just decommitted. You could be sitting there going, "What? 
like things can get interesting very, very quickly for a program like that. And there are a number of dominoes that could fall. I mean, when you look at the candidates, right, if you uh, look at LSU and you look at Oklahoma as schools that may be evaluating Mark Stoops, well, if Mark Stoops moves, there's another opening in the SEC. Potentially, if he goes to LSU, you fill one, and then you have another opening. Uh, Shane Beamer, even with just one year at South Carolina, if he were to hypothetically, some reports there's interest, move to Oklahoma. Now you have an opening all of a sudden at South Carolina. So all of this is tied together, and it is going to be a fascinating couple of days. I'll say a couple of days, not even a couple of weeks, because if you're making a coaching move, you have got to do so with an eye on December 15th. You've got to be aware of the early signing period, and it's not that you necessarily have to sign your entire class by then, but your key guys, your highly regarded guys, many of them are going to sign to go ahead and get the process over with. Some are early enrolling, so you really have to focus on that date, and it puts extra stress and pressure on these athletic directors. And guys, we're talking about the head coaching opportunities. We're not even talking about the coordinators. I mean, Georgia Tech needs an offensive and defensive coordinator. Miami now, with Rhett Lashley being named the head coach, at SMU needs an offensive coordinator from the transfer portal to head coaches to coordinators I mean forget bowl season it's already silly season I mean it is with all this stuff and uh, nobody's even talking about the college football playoff right now because of all that's going on with the coaches and coordinators etc the greatest the greatest regular season there is is college football because of everything that goes on I mean once you know, Kevin, not too many weeks ago, we talked about, you know, SC not having a coach. Now they got Lincoln Riley. Now Oklahoma doesn't have a coach. You talk about Shane Beam. You talk about Mark Stoops. What about Lane Kiffin? Lane Kiffin's name, his name is not Ole Miss could potentially not have a coach. You're talking about, you're talking about a team of Georgia Tech who has to have two new, you know, two new coordinators with, with, with a big-time player, Jameer Gibbs, their best player in the transfer portal. So the thing is, it is, it is a trickle effect, but the one thing that, that is apparent to me, back in 2000, I went to Florida for two reasons. One is Florida for, second and Steve Spurrier first. The head coach has more to do with a kid going to a school than the school itself. Because you know who we ain't not talking about? Caleb Williams. He started quarterback currently for Oklahoma. He might be going to SC. Spencer Rattler in the transfer portal. So it's going to be very, very interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. And unless you are Florida, Georgia, SC, you can, you can feel safe that you got your coaches right now. If I did not name your team, oh, and, and, and Michigan State and Michigan, Alabama feels pretty good. Alabama there, feels too. pretty good as well. If you are Auburn. <laughs> no, you haven't read the rumors. He's going back to LSU. No, if, 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 listen, Auburn, right? Ole Miss, Miami. You know, you all these teams that I didn't name, be very, very careful because money talks, people. And when people talk about, no, this, this coach will never, ever leave. Go back to go back to uh, go back to uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago when old Lincoln Riley was talking about you know, uh, loving Oklahoma and getting that extension, that's before Oklahoma decided to go to the SEC. So for those who think that the SEC ain't scary and people don't want to be in there, uh, I know a coach that just, that just got off a plane wearing his Oklahoma Jordan zone and getting off the plane at SC. So Lincoln Riley, I mean, he did the smart move, but, yeah, it's going to be a lot of job openings, Kevin and BJ, maybe before the end of the week. Yeah, and again, how do these things uh, get filled is going to be very, very interesting. As BJ said, we're not even really talking about the college football playoff. A lot of that's still to be decided on championship weekend uh, with with these conference championship games uh, that are out there. But, man, how much do things change over the course of a year in, in college football, right? Georgia looks good. Florida's going to be right there, maybe as a solid number two. Well, they fired their coach and barely got bowl eligible. The three contenders for the Heisman Trophy, excuse me, four contenders, 
JT Daniels was the betting favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Spencer Rattler, uh, DJ U, and Sam Howell at North Carolina were your favorites. How did that turn out? Two of them aren't playing at the end of the season and are watching from the bench. One of them largely underperformed there uh, at Clemson, and the other one, Sam Howell, I think had okay stats, but his team didn't even come close to maybe some of the metrics people thought they would achieve. So what a year uh, it can make, or even just a couple of months, in college football. Well, and the news changes seemingly hour to hour. You know, this morning at the office, when we were reflecting on some of the games from Saturday, we said, man, Georgia Tech didn't give Jameer Gibbs many carries uh, on Saturday. You're talking about a guy that's been one of the most efficient players in the country in terms of making the most out of limited touches. Then right before the show, from his Twitter transfer portal. So Jameer Gibbs, who I think finished third nationally in all-purpose yards, uh, one of the most highly touted recruits for Georgia Tech ever, uh, is out in the transfer portal. And I think that's where we are with college football, where if guys aren't happy, there's going to be a move made. Hit refresh on Twitter, go to your website, click the headlines, and you're going to see something new. It is coming fast and furious this afternoon. Everything was all good just a week ago. Now things have changed. We will see what happens. But this, I mean, this is why the college football season, regular season, is the greatest regular season, Kevin and BJ, because what can supersede the games, the coaches, the players, the moves being made, and that transfer portal for those of you who, who think it was it's already crazy. It's probably going to get even crazier as these, uh, as these coaches keep, uh, you know, moving around. We've got so much to get to here on the show. We'll chat with Buddy Martin, author of uh, authors, written uh, Urban Meyer's biography, uh, covered the Florida Gators for years, Gator Vape Media, and also the host of the Buddy Martin Show. He'll join us. Billy Napier is in one of the many coaching changes that are happening around the country. We'll talk to him about that move next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, so much going on around uh, college football from the coaching carousel, transfer portal, all kind of stuff uh, happening around uh, college football. We haven't even got to talk about conference championship games, college football playoffs, uh, and more. There's so much happening around the sport. Let's uh, have our next guest join us, uh, author, uh, host of the Buddy Martin Show and uh, Gator Bait Media. Buddy Martin joins us as Florida has their new head coach in Billy Napier. Buddy, welcome to the show. How are you? My goodness, I recognize these voices. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, man. But uh, a, a lot going on there in uh, in Gainesville. What is the uh, kind of the scuttlebutt about Billy Napier? Was he uh, choice number one? Was well, choice number one? Well, yes, but which for a while worked out okay. Uh, for the first, you know, two and a half seasons, damn most. But he got the guy he wanted. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know a lot about a lot of research. He had on my show last week, I had a guy, a friend of mine from Baton Rouge, who told me this is happened. So I had to sort of get out and sort of start digging up stuff on, on Napier. But he's got, he is really hot. He, can see. he was the bright, shiny new thing in coaching that people wanted a hot pick. And given the musical chairs they're playing, Kevin, with who's going to go where, especially LSU, it looks like it was a great preemptive strike by Scott Strickland. Buddy, how fast did all this come together? It seems like from afar, from the outside looking in, uh, Florida made a made a move on Billy Napier fairly quickly. 
Well, you know, uh, according to what we're hearing second and third hand now, and I don't know, I've not talked, I mean, what Scott said, uh, and what I learned from talking to reporters, last Tuesday, when Scott Strickland went to Louisiana uh, to meet with, with Billy, nobody knew it. It was uh, very well hidden, uh, unlike the time we were able to get some information from the spies on the airplane. Uh, and he went in, I guess that was first on his list, as he said, and he had probably a couple other guys. We don't know the names, so we can probably guess. And he went in and met Napier, and that did it. He said, that's my guy. I, I, this is the guy I want. And he said, right then, let's make a deal. Now, I don't know what the terms were finally, but when you, when you study Napier and you look at him and you look beneath the fact that he is, you know, he's not a power five coach. You get beyond that point and see what he's done and who he's coached for. As you guys know, he was on the staff at Nick Saban's staff there. Uh, he was a Dabo staff actually hired, I think, by somebody else. When Dabo got there and then Dabo fired him. Wound up. He stayed seven years offensive coordinator. Then he went to Arizona State. And he's been very successful in building this program. I mean, he's done a marvelous job building the Raging Cages into a formidable team that, you know, they got up to number 15 in the polls, uh, which is unusual for a school, uh, FCS school to do that. So I think once he got there in front of, uh, of Napier and saw who he was and what he's about, apparently not a guy, as I hear, is all that motivated by money, although I'm sure he'll be well paid, uh, and what he stood for and his character and his coaches and his whole out, his whole program. He's a complete CEO kind of guy, which is something that Mullen didn't have. And I think that's one thing that Scott liked about him. He knows how to shape and mold a program, um, and he, and how to build a staff. And some of his coaches went to the NFL. I mean, the Giants. You've got his offensive line coach. So I think the total package, the personality, the character, and the integrity apparently he has. Uh, just sort of blew Scott Strickland away, and he says, that's the guy we want. Now, we didn't have any idea what was going on at that point in time, but it came out uh, as we wrote last week. We thought he was the number one guy, and then, of course, it was announced at 3 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, and, and a bit of a surprise, but it seems like Gator fans are pretty excited about it. But, but in recruiting was one thing that, you know, Dan Mullen didn't do the best job of when he was the head coach of Florida. That's not something that Billy Napier is going to have a problem when we talk about the guys he's gotten, he's coached on it with Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. How much of that was, how much of a selling point was that too, or Scott Strickland, knowing that I got a guy who's come up through the ranks but can definitely get big time players, you know, back at Florida, which is something that Florida has been lacking over the years? And I think you're exactly right. That was a big thing. Uh, for everybody, because, you know, Gator fans are not happy, have not been happy for several years. Although Mullen did well his first year out of the transfer portal and had some great players, you look look back now and say, was it an aberration to just get lucky he had the two Kyles when he had them, he inherited them, and we, he, we expected him to be able to carry forward with the quarterbacks he had and he couldn't and didn't, and you think, and now the uh, covered uh, doesn't look bare, but it looks like it's been hit hard in the last month. Florida, what few four stars they had, uh, and uh, they, they've lost a, few, a lot of. I think the highest rated Florida recruit right now is a three star. 
I'm not big on the throwing the stars, but it is an indication. There's no doubt about the fact that Mullen didn't put the priority on it uh, of, a, of an Urban Meyer, who, by the way, was relentless every day. He recruited every day. And it's just something that was going to impact the program and began to impact the program. And now, as smart a deep offensive mind as Dan was, and as good a coach as he was, and by the way, remember, he was like, you know, ahead of the pace of both Meyer and um, um, and Spurrier uh, uh, when he was uh, it started out at, before the game last year against LSU. His record was ahead of schedule, and now Mullen just sort of as I said imploded. And here we got a guy named Billy Napier. We're going to learn about who was a Furman quarterback. You guys will be familiar with that school somewhat, and his dad was a was a high school coach. Apparently had ALS and, and used to call plays from a wheelchair uh, and died. Uh, and Billy said one of the things he wanted was to have his own program like his dad did. So pretty impressive guy. Uh, we're all writing and talking about a guy we've never met, we've never seen coach. You know, all we got to go on is what people say and what's been written about him. But it's all coming up really good on this end so far. Buddy Martin joining us here on uh, Three and Out, and and Buddy, you talk about uh, the recruiting. That's obviously something he enjoys uh, doing. Looking at college football here in 2021, 2022, when you talk about the Gators getting back into contention uh, in, in the SEC, is this a year where you try to reestablish that high school football talent, or is Billy Napier a guy that looks at the transfer portal and says, "Look, we've seen a number of guys try to do it. I can improve my team." pretty quickly uh, if I get the right guys out of that portal? That's, that's a great question. I think that's what we want to find out. Now, I, I don't have a lot of access to recruiting information. I did read a blog uh, of a group that, uh, called GatorMade. I don't remember the guy's name. He seemed to have a lot of information about what Napier's guy is doing already in Florida you know, one of the big gaping holes, the reason that Florida doesn't get a lot of the four and five stars is a lot of them are at IMG down in Bradenton, and they get nobody from down there. Uh, and I'm told that they've already been down there uh, this week with talking to a quarterback. Uh, they got Nick Evers, as a guy who is, was, is decommitted. I think he's one of them. But there will be some activity down there uh, in Bradenton in that IMG Academy because so many elite athletes go there. That's just one place. As you know, Florida's a talent-rich place. Uh, South Florida has been an unbelievable resource for lots of schools. But there are a lot of people who are recruiting the state right now, in addition to the normal ones that are recruited. Uh, you also got, you know, uh, USF and UCF, and these schools are growing in stature in Miami and what have you. So I think my guess is, is you're a little late to get to score big at this point in time. Like it's not, it's not even a guess. I don't think Florida's likely to have a great recruiting uh, class this year. I mean, they were ranked as high as they were a top 10 at one time on the model recently. They're like, I don't even know where to go, 14, 15, 16. But I think there is a refreshing attitude among the coaches now. And I don't think Mullen did a great job on, with, with, uh, with high school coaches. I, th- I know a few of them. They almost never heard from him, so whatever. Um, and, and and I think Dan's damning statement was when he was asked about recruiting and importance of it by a guy from Jacksonville in a press conference. 
And he says, we'll worry about recruiting when recruiting season gets here. Hello? Recruiting season is every day. I think it was that laissez-faire attitude about recruiting and the fact that and we still don't know the real truth about what happened with the show calls that Dan got a couple of years ago that nobody knew about with the NCAA over, over some kind of violation. I'm not sure what it was. It's passed. Was he even was he even allowed to go out and recruit? That's what we don't know. When recruiting came along this year, we're not sure who he sent out. So there's a lot of questions. I don't mean to disparage Dan Mullen. He was a good coach and, and an honest guy and did a good job. And, you know, he just – I've never seen a program implode like this one ever in my life. It just went south. And, you know, Ben, you and I have talked about it a lot over the recent months. But the LSU shoe game, uh, it, it started it all downhill. I'm convinced there was some kind of curse <laughs> on the program point down the curse of their phone shoe and i've been trying to get my friends in their Orleans to put them in touch with somebody down there yeah. who might be the quarter who might be able to reverse that curse you know so uh, yeah that that is it's been a horrible record since then and uh, the answer is a long answer to your question which is i think won't come out of the blocks real strong this year with recruiting but i believe they will catch up by next year and get things back to normal and see what happens there's also guys recruiting the ones you got. You don't know who you're going to keep. They had two transfers today announced. Either one of them are significant. Uh, and now the question is, is, I would think at least one of those quarterbacks are going to be gone. I doubt we'll see both of them. Buddy Martin, host of the Buddy Martin Show, our guest here on 3 Now, Buddy, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. My pleasure, gentlemen. Nice talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we appreciate it. Buddy Martin joining us, catching us up on all things uh, there. Billy Napier as he takes over the Florida job. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We're talking Georgia football uh, with Brooks Austin, who joins us each and every Monday. Georgia getting ready for the SEC championship game. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out. Welcome back to 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us here on this Monday. So much to get to here on the show. Of course, we are preparing for championship week as uh, the SEC championships got Alabama and Georgia playing there in Atlanta. Georgia finishing up 12-0 in the regular season. Brooks Austin from Dogs Daily on SI joining us here as he does every Monday. Brooks, it's it's Alabama. We've known that, and uh, again, you can see how Georgia finished up 12-0, how Alabama finished down the stretch, having to go to some overtimes there against Auburn. How are you feeling about this week's SEC championship game if you're Georgia right now? And we had Brooks there. We may have lost him momentarily. We'll wait, try to get him back uh, there on the stream. But uh, obviously Georgia, uh, BJ and Ben, uh, getting ready for the SEC championship game uh, upcoming here on Saturday. Well, and I think this is the matchup that people have talked about for some time. Uh, a little surprise, Ben, that the line is almost a touchdown in Georgia's favor. Georgia's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, I do think the Bulldogs have earned the right to be the favorite in this game. But tell me if I'm off base here, and I'm interested to get Brooks's thoughts. I, I, you've, seen, you've seen Alabama really struggle in their last, what, three or four SEC games. And at some point, at some point, they've got to look more like themselves, right? Or is it fair to look at Alabama and say, look, you need a late save against LSU. 
You did not look good against Florida earlier in the year. You really struggled and quite honestly got fortunate, if we're being real, uh, in the Iron Bowl that maybe this is Alabama this season because maybe I'm wrong, but I think we've seen sort of atypical performances. And I'm not saying Bama's going to win. I think Georgia's the better, more complete team. But I think Alabama's best effort is still in front of them. I don't think they've played their best yet. And if I'm a Bulldog fan, that would concern me a little bit. Yeah, but Alabama is battle-tested. And, BJ, look, look look at those games you mentioned. Florida has played, you know, Alabama probably the best the last couple of years going back to the SEC Championship game and obviously this year at home losing by losing by a two-point conversion. When you talk about Texas A&M where they lost by a field goal, well, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher needed to have that signature win. So I just think that it's just a it's just more of the fact that, you know, Alabama's a team that's going to get the most teams' best efforts. Brooks Austin uh, joining us here, Dogs Daily on SI on 3 and Out. Brooks, Welcome. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I got a 16-month-old son that decided, you know, right during the midst of my ESPN Coastal hit would be a great idea and a great time to just go pull the plug on the entire Internet service entire, throughout the entire house. Brooks, I would, I, would, I would use this opportunity, and Christian wants me to make fun of you, but uh, my, uh, my sons, when they were younger, both – turned off the entire radio station on bring your kid to, to, to work day. So I'm right there with you. I mean, it's just, it's just typical, man. Like <laughs> we, 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 we hadn't had the internet pulled all day. Matter of fact, it's been a couple weeks and little Joker walked right over there in the midst of you guys and, and, and snatched it on me. Just crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, uh, about that SEC championship game, man, happy Monday to you. Hey, absolutely. Uh, talk about that SEC championship game. Obviously we saw Bama uh, go against Auburn late into the overtimes there and, have played some close games. How, how are you feeling about playing Bama now in the SEC championship game now that it's officially championship week? I mean, I, I think at this point you kind of throw everything. I mean, you can analyze the other stuff, and certainly we're going to do that. But on its, on its pure surface information, it was always going to be Bama. It was always going to be Bama and Georgia. It was always going to be this matchup. I um, mean, you just kind of knew it was going to come. I, I personally kind of take out – the, the tight football games and the transient property of college football. You know, Georgia beat Auburn by a certain amount of points. Alabama struggled on the road. It took four overtimes. Georgia must be better, right? I don't apply the transient property to college football because it's a one-game sample. That's what it is. We got a one-game sample coming up Saturday, and to me it is still Alabama versus Georgia. Nothing's changed besides that or, you know, outside of that, in my opinion. I think it's going to be a really tight, well-contested football game for four quarters. Brooks, I think a couple of weeks ago on the show, you said when there was still a chance that uh, it could have been somebody other than Alabama that Georgia might play, you said, hey, Georgia wants Alabama. This is the, the challenge, the stage, the spotlight they want. What's the confidence level like around this Georgia program, undefeated, number one in the country, with this game now coming up? You know, I'll find out more towards the end of the week, to be honest with you, in terms of like what the vibe is around the program. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this much. Even dating back to week one, right, they're going on the road to Clemson. They don't really know who they are as a football team. They haven't figured it out, haven't had an opportunity to test their identity. And they were super confident from the people that I talked to about going out there to Charlotte and winning that, you know, neutral site football game to kick off the season. I would imagine ever since then, even dating back to what they were feeling like this summer and into fall camp, this has been an extremely confident football team and one that's gone about their business week in and week out and preparing and performing like they're the number one team in the country. And I think they go about it and feel about it the same way this week, despite who's on the other side of the sideline, if that makes sense. 
How great of a job has uh, Kirby Smart done with this team, uh, Brooks? When you going back, you know, four years ago, yeah, they was able to they was able to get that SEC championship against the Auburn team they lost to in the regular season. Then they played, you know, Alabama in back to back years. But who would have thought? 2021, Georgia's coming in undefeated. Alabama's coming in with one loss. The quarterback for Alabama is Bryce Young, and the quarterback for Georgia is Stetson Bennett. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a great point, Ben, but I, I think to me, when I, when I think about this weekend and when I think about what Georgia's done this year as a football team, I, I recall back to December 7, 2019, against LSU, when, when it was almost like Kirby's like eye-opening experience. He, he just like came to the realization of, my God, I don't have enough offense, right? I don't have enough. Even if I have the world's greatest defense, which he now currently has, I still got to go get more offense. I still got to go get more explosive. I still got to go find an offensive coordinator that can find opportunities and find ways to get the ball down the field. I still got to go get weapons. I need more and more weapons. And since then, we've seen the addition of Todd Munkin. We've seen guys like Brock Bowers, Jermaine Burton, A.D. Mitchell, uh, you know, Lad McConkey, these type of weapons that they've used this year arrive on campus since December 7th uh, of 2019. We've seen a completely different football team. Guys, if I slapped you in the face in, in August and said, hey, by the way, Stetson Bennett's going to be the starting quarterback and Georgia's going to finish sixth in the regular season in terms of total offense and scoring offense, you would have told me I'm nuts. But I would have looked at you and just said, well, this is why you go out and hire a guy like Todd Munkin, so you can bring your program into the modern uh, modernization of college football. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Brooks, I know you've, heard, you've probably heard the, the talking points going into this week. Well, it doesn't matter what Georgia does. They're already in. And I kind of said, look, that might be true, but don't you want to knock Bama out this weekend? Yeah, you don't want to give uh, Bama an opportunity to spend a month getting prepared for a college football playoff. Um, I wouldn't want to do that, not if I were a, a Georgia football staffer um, over there. The last thing I want is uh, Alabama an opportunity to get that running back room healthy, to get that defense you know, back into prime shape and healthy and, and playing well and, and get everything buttoned up. I, I don't want Nick Saban having 18 more practices before he has to play another football game that means something. Go out and beat these guys uh, this week. I think that's the way college football as a whole, the rest of the landscape, everybody involved in the college football playoff right now um, or on the outskirts of it or inside the, the, the top four, they don't want to play Alabama come January. I can promise you that right now. Brooks, how special was it seeing uh, George Pickens back on the field and uh, what could his uh, productivity be moving forward potentially? Yeah, I, I think that was a, a vital step. You know, they targeted him, got him a ball. Uh, I think they were trying to take a couple deep shots to him on a, on a sack that Stetson Bennett took midway through the second quarter when I looked at it, you know, upon first watch. But I think that was more of a, a benchmark test, right? we got to get you on the field first, get you some actual live action uh, in, a, in a non-stressful situation, in a situation that might not mean much. Uh, you know, second series against Georgia Tech, kind of fits that mold. I mean, that's exactly what that is, a, a, a non-consequential uh, series, if you will, a non-consequential opportunity in front of basically a home game on the road. Uh, the SD championship game, not so much. That is a highly contested, highly pressurized situation. Uh, you don't want your first opportunity to go out on the football field to be in that type of situation. I think what we saw this weekend uh, was the start of George Pickens making a playoff run uh, alongside the rest of his teammates for Georgia. 
I mean, Brooks, how how, spe- how special has our Brock Bowers been this year? I mean, when you think about the fact that this is the guy that's a true freshman still trying to, you know, the hardest thing in the SEC is adjusting to the speed of the game. But, I mean, he has been, I mean, not even arguably, he has been the best player for this offense this year. Yeah, Ben, I, I got I some flack on social media this week. And apparently we lost uh, Brooks again. Maybe the uh, maybe the kid got back around the old uh, uh, whatever. I, I get it, Brooks House. But Brooks Austin Dogs Daily on SI uh, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, again, Georgia-Bama coming up this weekend in Atlanta. We'll certainly talk more about that. And we've got more to come here on 3 and Out on this Monday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you along here 3 and Out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us. Here on the show, hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com as well. We've got so much football to get to, but guys, baseball free agency is going bananas right now. Uh, you've got the NFL and more. Matt Smith will join us uh, next hour here on the program. BJ, your Jags, well, they still lost to the Atlanta Falcons uh, over the weekend. Falcons put up 21, Ben. That is for those who are... Becoming unused, that is a crooked number. That means you scored points more than once, three times. They were able to put up points on the board. I mean, BJ, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just not looking good for the teams you root for. But, Mr. Cordero, Cordero. It's like that? It's like that today? No, 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 no. no. Listen, I'm not talking about college. No, no, no. That's a totally different subject. That was a brawl for it all. Because you were rooting for a college basketball team a couple Was was I rooting for a college basketball team or was I enjoying the college basketball team? You know, just enjoying college athletics. But Cordero, whatever you want to call Cordell, Cordell, number 84, was finding a way to get it done again. Kevin, BJ, the more you can do in life, but the more you can do on a football field. Cordell, I don't know who's going to negotiate his contract, Kevin, but I think at the end of the year, he goes to Arthur Blank. Arthur Blank gives him a blank check and says, man, what do you want, man? We ain't going to go to the playoffs. But the fact that you kept us – Looking halfway decent, BJ, you got to at least appreciate the young man's effort. Uh, had, a, had a great game, had over 100 yards rushing, a couple of touchdowns. Also uh, wore the cleats honoring Ahmaud Arbery, uh, which was very special, very meaningful. But, but yeah, Patterson's had a remarkable year uh, for the Falcons and I think has kind of reinvented himself as a dual threat playmaker. He's always been a lead on special teams. Has always had the, you know, the big play special teams and maybe one or two big offensive plays in him, but now is, is the featured playmaker for Atlanta and is making the most of that. I agree. He he needs a raise. He needs an extension. In terms of the Jaguars, he needs a nap. yeah, yeah, good point. And in terms of the Jaguars, Kevin, I mean, I, Ben, you were saying that you know without Shark, DJ Shark got hurt obviously uh, earlier in the year. You just don't have weapons, but the Jaguars don't look right, and that's relatively speaking. I mean, well, BJ, listen, it's about not I, relatively. Speaking. I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, the hardest thing to do in the NFL is to learn how to win and to learn how to win consistently. That is what the Jags are trying to do. But I will say this. Who has a better dual threat right now, Kevin and BJ? Is it Debo from the SEC? Is it Debo Samuels out there with the San Francisco 49ers? Or is it uh, Mr. Cordero, 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 Corduroy, whatever you want to call him, Cordero Patterson from Tennessee Vol? Wow. I think they should just bring back – I just think they should, in, in honor of the, them playing the Jags, they should just bring back the, the O-Dub moniker, right? He's the offensive okay. weapon. Okay. I like it. <laughs> 
Cordell, we're going to call you C-Dub. You know, it's a Cordell weapon. No matter what, we can't get your name right. I apologize, but hopefully they'll compensate you handsomely. That was back when the offense. Jags had Denard Robinson. Like, man, he is so dynamic. Yeah, it is true. We're just going to call him the offensive weapon. Okay, but what I'm asking. And not give him the ball. What I'm asking is, this is a team that's incredibly young, Jacksonville, yep. with not just Trevor Lawrence, yep. but are they getting better? Because I know they won a game, but to me it doesn't look like they're getting better. How many games did they win in uh, 2020? One. How many games they won this year? One. That's called no, no, they no two. 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 So, Excuse so, me. Here's the thing. I've been conditioned no, to say one. How, how many? How many games um, have Detroit Lions won? They tied once. Exactly. So they didn't <laughs> win or lose. Think about it. That's how bad we. We didn't win, but we didn't lose. You could be the Detroit Lions. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but they did. Win. Listen, I went from four wins to five wins in two years. So I'm just saying they got the two wins, but they have been in most of these games. BJ, all of them have not been blown. blown Next out. year, three wins. <laughs> <laughs> For the Giants. BJ, look, Falcons fans really can't say anything else. They, they like, really can't. It's like, hey, we have a, had a few more wins, but one of them was against the Jags. So it's like, are you really better? <laughs> Aren't the Falcons in second place in the NFC? Yeah, I mean, yes. I guess. Kevin, Kevin's a motivational speaker when he's not on the radio. I, I guess so. <laughs> as, as, as our good friend D. Orlando said, talk to me when you're above 500 and making the playoffs. It's three and out. Southern Pixie Radio Network. We take three next hour. Matt Smith joins us as well. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you were with us all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Glad to have you along here on the show. So much to get to this hour. We'll chat with Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, and uh, we'll talk about all the changes going on around uh, college football. We'll look at the Billy Napier hire there at, uh, at Florida and look ahead to uh, the SEC championship game with Georgia and Alabama. But so much going on. We'll try to hit a lot of it here in take three. Here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas, take one. A lot of MLB free agency trying to happen as the collective bargaining agreement ends at midnight on Wednesday. And so MLB and the Players Association trying to get a deal done, but a lot of teams trying to make a flurry of moves before a potential lockout uh, comes into place. Take one, did the Mets today overpay for Max Scherzer, which, if you didn't hear, got a three-year, 130 million dollar contract average annual value of 43.3 million dollars just for folks who want to know that's more money than cleveland spends in a year that's more money than pittsburgh spends on the pirates that's more money than certainly uh i believe the the marlins have spent on their payroll uh in the past and the uh, in the orioles that's more money than the orioles spent on their payroll so one guy who pitches every fifth day is going to make more than three teams at least currently spend on their entire payroll did the Mets overpay. Absolutely. And you guys know that I really value starting pitching, and I think it's how you win. But when you talk about this type of contract for a player that – and I say this with all due respect. You know, Max Scherzer's been one of the best pitchers of this generation. But for a player who's 37 years old and just recently in the playoffs – was limited because he was experiencing dead arm. Now, I don't know if that's a medical term or just kind of a a baseball term after a long season, but you're 37 years old, you're a power pitcher, and you've had some issues with arm fatigue very recently. 
to me, that screams depreciation. And I know we've talked a lot about, not to turn it into a Freddie Freeman discussion, but about Freddie Freeman and how do you value a guy in his mid to late 30s. Well, I think a first baseman that basically plays within a, I don't know, a, a, a three to five yard window for the most part at first, uh, at, at first base, and it's not a true power hitter, has more longevity in theory than a starting pitcher who is known for being a workhorse. He's a guy that, that you know gives you gives you seven innings, eight innings every time out. Than a guy that's 37 years old, just had dead arm, and is a power pitcher. And normally, if you look at the kind of the the the, the history of peer pitchers, normally if you're a power first pitcher, I'm not talking about Jamie Moyer, but if you're a power first pitcher, you start to slow down a little bit at 36, 37, 38, because maybe you can't quite go 97, 98, 99, uh, 70 times a game. So I think it's a lot. I think it's too much. Kevin, you were telling me in the show meeting the third year is a player option. So even if he's terrible and and the Mets are like, hey, man, we don't want you anymore, uh, pay me. You can cut me, but you're still going to pay me. You're talking about over $40 million. You basically are getting paid what four or five teams get paid. Yes, the Mets overpaid. I don't think the Mets overpaid. I think sometimes, BJ, you know, you got to be able to take certain risks for certain guys that you think still got some left in the tank. People say, what is the greatest position to play in sports? It is to be a starting pitcher in the major leagues. I don't care what anybody else says. When you talk about the money that you're going to get, Forget the fact that you play every five days. Look at what you bring to an organization when you when you are at your best. I mean, is he Clayton Kershaw? No, he doesn't have to be. When you look at this Mets team, I mean, who did they, they they was getting they was literally dumping everybody at the trade deadline. So if you are a Mets fan, you think what gives us confidence uh, going into this season that we got an ace? They didn't have an ace. Syndergaard gone, so you had to be able to bring somebody in. Matt Scherzer isn't who he used to be, but he is still one of the best pitchers in baseball, which makes him one of the best players in baseball. And and last time I checked, Kevin and BJ. When you're one of the best pitchers, that comes with a price. And if you are in New York, you can buy name your price. He named his price. And people say, did they pay too much? Nope, because they gave it to him. Is he worth it? Yes, because he got it. He got it. He got it. So, Mr. Scherzer, I don't know who your agent is. Shout out to you. Age ain't nothing but a number, especially when you can pitch in the majors. Shout out to Scherzer for getting that bread. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that when this dude is on, he is like one of the top one or two guys in Major League Baseball. But he's also 37 years old. And to think that he's going to continue to get appreciably better, inching towards 40, I can't, I can't believe that. And again, you got Scherzer, you got DeGrom, and I, I imagine they're going to try to bring back Stroman uh, if they do. They haven't yet, but again, to me, it's just the Mets spending a lot of money, and they have a history of pitchers getting injured, and Matt Scherzer coming off dead arm. I don't know. I, it seems like they just spent a lot of money. Good for Max Scherzer, man. He's going to get paid. He's going to get every last cent of that money from the Mets. But they are spending a boatload of money. Sometimes spending a boatload of money doesn't guarantee anything. Look at the Braves. Didn't spend much at the trade deadline. Spent it smartly and ended up getting them a World Series. So I think that might be the way a lot of teams try to go. It's like, look, I don't have to go out and get a guy that's making $30 million. I just need to spend my money smartly. Let me ask you this real quick. Is this the Mets overpaying because they feel the pressure of looking around in their division? Sure. Nats have won one. Braves have won one. Phillies have been there. Well, that and what Steve Cohen, who owns them, is trying to make a splash. He's uh, said a lot. Of, he had guys uh, signing with other teams going, oh, well, their agent did this, that. Bad mouth in the, the, the negotiations. I'm like, look, you're trying to make a splash, and it's the Mets. Like, you, you've had reasons why you should have won before. Heck, this team they had last year probably should have won the division, and they didn't. They fell flat on their face, and the Braves uh, and the Phillies both were able to overtake them. So I think the Mets overpaid. 
Would I like to have Scherzer on my team? Yes. Is he worth that much cheese? Not on my team. Uh, that's a lot. And, again, people, I, I love the, the Twitter experts are like, well, if he doesn't live up to it, you could just trade him off to a contender. He has a no-trade cost, so you have to trade him where he wants to go. Oh, by the way, you're going to trade him to a contender and do what? Excuse me, contender, we need you to eat all $43 million of this contract. Nope, not doing it. So you're going to end up eating a lot of money, and what does that do to teams? People can say, oh, we're not worried about the, the luxury tax. At some point, Yar, every billionaire owner out there at some point is worried about, why are we paying all these guys to play for other teams? That don't make a whole lot of sense. So we'll see. I think they overpaid. Just, just saying. Uh, for my two cents. Moving along. Take two. A lot of rumors out there with the coaching carousel with uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Urban Meyer, Matt Rule. What do you guys think it will take to get a current NFL head coach to leave the pros for a college job? And I think a lot of these rumors are crazy. I do. I understand you're talking about big brands and big salaries, but to me, it, it, it's got to be more than money. It's got to be more than money because the jobs are so distinctly different. I think it has to be a coach who intrinsically loves the college game. What does the college game mean? It means going on speaking tours. It means signing autographs and taking pictures. Not that you don't do that in the pros, but dealing with boosters and doing the circuit. It means recruiting. And I know a lot of coaches really don't enjoy recruiting. Maybe even some coaches that have been in college football, been like Dan Mullen, don't seem to enjoy recruiting. If you're going to be at a at an SC, at an LSU, at an Oklahoma, you have to recruit and you have to love to recruit because what did Buddy Martin just say? It's an everyday thing, every single day. In the National Football League, listen, you have – you have a lot of things you have to deal with, a lot of things you have to uh, figure out. There's no margin for error, but you don't have to recruit. I mean, you can woo free agents, but you're not recruiting. So I, I, to me, if you're saying, hey, uh, here's $7.5 million to be the coach of the Jaguars, but for $8 million, you could be the coach at LSU or $8.5 million, I think the requirements, this may sound crazy, but I think the requirements – for being a college coach at those type tier one jobs are in some ways more consuming and more demanding because of the booster tour and the year-round nature. I know you have some downtime, but the year-round nature of recruiting. Uh, I think in the National Football League, at least in terms of what you're asked to do, it's a little more kind of clear cut and, and this is when you work, this is what you do. So for me, I think it's got to be more than the money. I think it has to be a coach that has tried both, a coach that loves the college game, loves what the college game has to offer, and even still, I think it has to be a very unique kind of stars-aligning set of circumstances. I don't think. I, don't, I mean, the, the, the money is going to be the fact of BJ and Kevin, but I think it comes down to the fact that you want to be able to say, I was the best team that year. It's going to be very, very hard to do that in the National Football League because you don't because the best teams stay the best teams and good teams got a chance to have a great season but not win at all. When you think about LSU, only thing you got to look at their track record is every coach that I've seen since 2000 has won a national championship. Coach O, Les Miles, Nick Saban. Oklahoma was right there on the cusp of it, but their coach just left for, for an opportunity because that because Oklahoma is coming to the SEC. Still got a chance to go out there and win it. And BJ, no, you don't got to love college football. You got the love of what comes with it. I don't got to love college football. I got the love what com what comes with it is what you're doing. And think about Cliff Kingsbury. How many people know he played coach for Arizona Cardinals? Is Arizona Card Arizona Cardinals is a premier job? Yes, because the National Football League. Are they going to win it all? No. And he got Kyler Murray. No, let me ask you this because because you bring this up all the time. I think you did with uh, the quarterbacks. If 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 Arthur Smith and Kirby Smart both go in the store, 
Who's getting just absolutely surrounded by fans? It's going to be Kirby. Matter of right. fact, matter of fact, I mean, if Jake, I know this is crazy. If old Stetson Bennett is walking down the street with Matty Ice, they're going to call him up to Stetson and say, hey, Stetson, yeah, who's your friend? Oh, that's Matty Ice. I'm telling y'all. Yeah, but that's what I'm getting at is you can kind of in some ways, I'm not saying every example, but in some ways in the NFL you can kind of be a head coach and 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 not have it consume all that you do. Yeah. If you're Kirby Smart, if you're Ed Orgeron, if you're – and I know he's no longer there – Nick Saban, Dabo Swinney, you are – the coach at Clemson, the coach at LSU, 24-7, 365, every second of every day. I think you can – I mean, is this – I mean, Ben, you tell me if I'm wrong. Is it less of a responsibility to be a head NFL coach than a head college football coach at a Tier 1 power? Yes. And the only reason why, the only reason why it's less, BJ, because most of the time there aren't a lot of uh, – the NFL is the creme de la creme. I'm not taking nothing away from all 32 teams. All 32 teams are relevant because some of them are slot fillers, but not because they are pristine type type places to play. When you're talking about oh, and coach, you're talking about Matt Rule, you're talking about Kip Klingsbury, you're talking about Urban Meyer, right? Well, Urban Meyer, he got the opportunity in the NFL because of what he did in college. I don't know if Matt Rule or Kip Klingsbury did because Matt Rule, he was all right at Baylor. Like, he had a good year. I don't know what Cliff Kingsbury did, and he had some elite quarterbacks. But I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to know. BJ, every time somebody come at me to ask me where I played at, ask me what you did, it comes with it. You know, if I say, and, and this is BJ's, you know, we talked about who got the, the, the next head coach at Akron. You know what you said? Eh. But you're talking about Oklahoma? You're talking about LSU? These are some of the best coaching destinations, period. College or pro. So don't think that the money don't do it. And don't think that a coach – don't want to win. The hardest thing to do is to coach when you're losing, and the hardest thing to do is to keep playing when you're losing. And right now, I know Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, he's doing it right now, but Matt Rule, huh. Cam, PJ, ain't getting it done. DJ, I mean, Christian McCaffrey just went on the, on the IL. I mean, so I, 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 I just think that for me, I think it don't, it don't take that much to woo those guys because it's something to say that if you were the last team standing in college football, to me that is much harder to do and worth it and even winning the, uh, a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think it would, to me it would take a lot to get me back in the college game for what BJ said. Again, you got to love recruiting. If you, need, if you look at your team at the NFL and go, man, we need a left tackle. You go to your GM and say, hey, I need a left tackle. If you need a left tackle in college, you say, who are we talking to? Do we have a Chick-fil-A on campus? Is his girlfriend coming to school here? Do we? I mean, like, who knows what it's going to take to get the guys you want uh, to, to come there. And, again, when's the last time you heard this, the, the following phrase ever mentioned? Well, we had to let so-and-so go with the, the Jacksonville Jaguars because, well, he just didn't like scouting. Really didn't like a big – they don't go scout. They have a whole department doing that. You go to the scouts and go, who's good? They tell you. You don't have to go do in-home visits. You don't have to go do any of that stuff. You wake up. My sole focus this week – for Arthur Smith was, we are trying to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Not, did I send enough texts to a kid in English class today to make sure he still wants to come here? <laughs> that, I mean, you laugh, but that's true. It, it, it is. That, that, it, that kind of crap matters. Now, hold on. It, it, it's, but but it's, it's, a, it's a healthy balance back and forth, too. Because the one thing about the National Football League that we don't talk about, when's the last time really, really good teams didn't have a really, really good quarterback, an elite quarterback? So now you in the, you in the quarterback sweepstakes no matter what. Nick Saban, literally. It's back in college because he didn't get Drew Brees. Literally, it came down to Drew Brees going to Miami or going to New Orleans. Miami, Miami, Miami. Uh, now I don't know how many of those uh, trainers still on that staff. They say, "Hey man, we don't think he built." 
I got so I, I will say this. It's gonna be it's gonna I'm not saying it's not gonna be hard to get them back, but I just think that money that money is gonna be the factor first, and then obviously you gotta, you know, do they really wanna do all that other stuff second? All right, quickly outside of this is take three outside of Alabama, which potential playoff team will present the biggest challenge for Georgia? I think it's Cincinnati, and people may disagree with that, but this is a team that in the back of their minds knows they can play with Georgia. Mm -hmm. They just did. They're going to have three, maybe four first-round picks. Mm -hmm. They have a head coach who was at at Ohio State. I mean, you're talking about kind of all of the factors you normally look at when you evaluate a championship contender. I think Cincinnati would worry me if I'm a Georgia fan. I would would go with a team like Michigan, BJ, for everything everything you said they weren't. This is the thing. We get caught up in, you know, what they haven't done as of late. We're talking about right here, right now. Michigan Michigan's biggest juggernaut they just beat them and they beat the brakes off them and they didn't do it throwing the putting the ball in the air they kept the ball on the ground you BJ you talked about the defensive end for Michigan or you know I mean or you when you talked about that defense for Michigan that's good enough to play with the best of I know that Big Ten football usually is like watching paint dry because you're waiting on things to happen things happen slowly if you haven't played a team in a long time and you're not used to their style of play that could that could pose a problem. I know the Cincinnati has played Georgia, Georgia, you know, last year in the bowl game. It was a really really good bowl game. Those Michigan guys got a got a shot to be very very dangerous because I think they got over their biggest hump that being Ohio State. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I you're talking about maybe Oklahoma State getting in. I mean, I, I will I will say Michigan uh, as well. That's take three. We'll come back. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com will join us here on three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three down on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you were with us here on this Monday. Thanks for making us a part of your day. A lot happening around the world of college football. Who better to talk to than our own Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, fellas. Uh, doing pretty well. Wild weekend, and looks like it's going to continue throughout this entire week, apparently. Uh, certainly. And, 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 Matt, we talk about coming into – Conference championship week, but to me, uh, today has been overshadowed. Uh, the conference championship games, at least on Monday, overshadowed right now by the sheer number of coaching firings, coaching rumors as to who could leave and open up new jobs, and, of course, uh, the explosion of guys after said firings into the transfer portal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we knew this portal stuff was coming. That was not a big surprise, but just seeing some new jobs. Um, you know, I think, I think I'd probably mention I thought Lincoln Riley and LSU really did have some legs a week or so ago. Um, then when he shut that down after Saturday night, I guess we read into it too much that he's not going to be the next head coach anywhere. And uh, that all changed about 12 hours later. Um, so just seeing a, a job like Oklahoma being open at the same time as LSU to most likely SEC West rivals in the next year or two, uh, that's pretty crazy, and two probably very different searches. Uh, we know LSU likes to run their searches from what they've done in their other sports. They are going to swing big, and they are going to try to get everybody who they might think even have the slightest of chances to uh, to want to take the job. Oklahoma will probably take more of the Florida approach, more disciplined, calculated. I think in the end it will be a pretty logical hire, whether it's Brent Venables, Mark Stoops, uh, just a name that really makes sense given – uh, how Joe, Joe Castiglione there likes to conduct his business. So it's just wild seeing those two searches going on at the same time. A lot of the second-tier jobs as well, Virginia Tech and Washington. So, yeah, probably the craziest cycle we've seen. And uh, it'll, it'll be wild to see how this plays out and how it affects uh, 2022 and forward, especially with realignment coming down the road. Matt, with LSU, do you buy that potentially there's a big name out there that's been their top target or one of their top targets all along? Or do you think that whether it's Mel Tucker, whether it's Lincoln Riley, you know, whoever it's been, that they have swung and missed with their top couple of choices? 
Yeah, I think I think it was Ralph Russo at the AP. I saw kind of put it well yesterday that that Florida is going to make a, a solid B plus hire, which I think they did in Billy or Na- Billy Napier. It seems like it's probably going to work. You never know. Um, that's just kind of how Florida does. LSU could end up with an A plus, or they could kind of get caught with their pants down and end up with a, a C or C minus if they get too far behind. Knowing they probably I don't know what interest they had in Mel Tucker, but that's off the table. Um, are they still going to look at someone like Brian Kelly, perhaps? I mean, the number of really big names out there now that Lincoln Riley is, is unavailable, I think is pretty slim. So maybe they do have to go to their plan B, plan C route. And then you say, okay, Florida probably wins the cycle in terms of better hire of the two, especially taking a guy from, you know, two hours down the road from Baton Rouge, who's been in Louisiana for the last four or five years now. Um, so I think that's probably what to expect again, but you're kind of just out of super big names now. Outside of, I know Brian Kelly has some legs, maybe Matt Rule, but that would kind of surprise me this soon into his NFL tenure. I know it hasn't gone great there, but it's only a year and a half in, so I'd have to imagine he'd want to stick it out a couple more years there in Carolina. But, but yeah, options are limited. This is a year where demand is certainly greater than supply. I think that's probably going to leave some guys pretty far down their list of coaches when this thing all settles out in the next couple weeks. Um, but, yeah, I think the names – I think Brian Kelly is probably the only one at this point. I don't see that happening. But uh, with Riley off the board, it's really hard to find that perfect match in terms of a big name. I uh, like LSU had landed in their baseball and their uh, women's basketball searches, at least. And, man, even, I mean, even, uh, even sticking with a team like LSU, when you think about the fact they've seen what's happened around them, how much do they got to make sure that they get this right? Obviously, you don't know how the guy's going to – going to end up until they get there, but do they get the, do they got to make sure they get the best hire or do they got to get a sexy hire that's going to, like, you know, suit some of these fans and and uh, these fan base that you can't see them, you know, uh, get a, you know, uh, get, you know I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm juggling right here right now. You're talking about all, I'm, I'm looking all around the studio. My bad, Matt. <laughs> but I'm just saying, when you think about it, when you think about a situation like LSU, is it the sexy hire or is it the best hire? Yeah, I mean, I think the infrastructure at LSU is, is all kind of there. I think maybe we talked about it. Some of the differences between Florida and LSU, I think there's probably a bit more work to do inside the Florida, the bigger picture with with the facilities, with the network, with expectations. I think that's all there at LSU. It's just more a matter of finding a, a solid, competent guy, and that's why I think as you saw uh, people try and rank the open jobs, I think almost everyone had LSU ahead of Florida for that reason. Uh, again, we don't know how realignment is going to shake out. Maybe LSU will benefit from that if Alabama and Auburn move over to the east. Uh, but still, you got a lot of big fish in the west, and, and the second-tier programs, Arkansas and Ole Miss, have quickly turned this thing around. So the expectation for LSU is Ole Miss and Arkansas did it in two years. We're LSU. You need to fix this in one year, and we expect to be back in a, a New Year's Six Bowl in, in 2022. So, again, may, maybe they get caught with their pants down again because they took two biggest swings in a year where there was just so much more demand and supply. And maybe they should have just gone after Billy Napier and said, hey, we got a guy we trust who knows the area, who knows the SEC, and he's going to work here given everything we have in place at LSU, our systems and our processes and our networks and such. Um, so I think that's entirely possible. But, yeah, I just think a competent head coach there, it's hard to screw up LSU despite what Wes Miles and Ed Orgeron did. But looking back, I think we kind of understand why it happened with those two personalities. But, again, I think just a good, smart, competent guy who understands what LSU is and what the SEC is about, I think should have a ton of success there despite what's going on in the West and the, and the heavy level of competition, especially with Oklahoma and Texas about to come into the league. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, joining us here. Obviously, the Iron Bowl was tremendous. Uh, overtime rules aside, which I know a lot of people don't like, sets up – Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game. What are you expecting 
given the way Alabama has played, although a big win in the Iron Bowl against Georgia, which has just pretty much annihilated everybody they've played all season long. Yeah, it's just amazing to utter the words. It's hard to paint a picture where Alabama wins this game. Just saying that sentence out loud just seems ridiculous, given what we've seen from them over the past 10 or 15 years. But it really is. I mean, certainly they'll they'll have Jamison Williams back, who missed most of the, the game with the targeting foul. And uh, But that offensive line is a mess. I don't think they're going to have certainly not 100% Brian Robinson. We'll see where he is by the end of the week. Um, but that didn't look good when he left the game. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you just sit back and max protect and trust Williams and Mechie to win one-on-one battles and for Bryce Young to be super accurate? That's kind of the only thing I see because, you know, Georgia's certainly going to GATA on Bryce Young after what Auburn did to them uh, with less talent. You know, great job by Derek Mason doing that, trust in his corners. Especially once Williams went out of the game, I thought that worked phenomenally well for 58 minutes or so of that game. Uh, but that's really the only thing I can see for this Alabama offense to, to move the ball. Right tackle is a huge problem. Offensive line as a whole is just not really gelling much. Even with Robinson, they weren't running the ball. So, man, it's hard. So I think the goal is just to make Kirby Smart actually be a head coach. He hasn't really had to make those key game decisions probably since the second half of the Clemson game three months ago because they've been ahead by so many. Put some real game pressure on this team that they haven't seen, again, going back to early September. And uh, maybe you have a situation like the 2018 game that Alabama stole uh, in the SEC championship game there. So other than that, I, I don't have a whole lot of suggestions, I guess. Not that Nick Saban gives a, gives a darn what I think. But, again, Max Protect, you got two really good receivers. Trust them to make plays against the Georgia secondary and, uh, and go from there and just hope your defense can come up with some turnovers, take advantage of uh, upsets and Bennett's you know, penchant to turn the ball over sometimes and – other than that, I don't, I don't expect it to happen, but I think that's really their only shot given what we've seen from this Alabama team not really having a, playing a complete game going back to probably Mississippi State six weeks or so ago. So, yeah, I expect Georgia to win. I expect Alabama to miss the playoff, but that's all I can really see in terms of Alabama making this a game and, and having a shot to pull this off. All right, Matt, you said you expect Alabama to miss the playoff. Now, there's been some fluidity at the top of the rankings. Uh, the question everybody's asking, if, if Alabama loses by a field goal, let's say it's a good game, it's 30-27, Georgia wins. Is there a scenario where Alabama could still get into the playoff? I, I don't see it. I think to jump a, a one-loss team, I guess the, the most likely team in that scenario would be Notre Dame. If they'd have been dominant over the past month or so, Given the weakness of Notre Dame's opponents, I think I could definitely see that happening. But if you're going to jump another Power 5-ish team with fewer losses, you have to have dominated your opponents. And Alabama has done nothing like that. Again, going back to probably mid-October, probably only going to have one top 15 win in that scenario in Ole Miss. So I just don't see it all there to make that leap. Again, maybe I'm naive with that. Um, I think the real debate for Alabama would be with an 11-2 and Baylor team. I guess let's say if, uh, if Georgia wins, if uh, Cincinnati wins, and let's say Iowa beats Michigan, then you would have Georgia, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame, and then one spot open probably for Alabama and Baylor. And then you have Baylor with probably three top 15 wins with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and BYU. Alabama, again, with only one and not being a conference champion. I think that would be the one debate where you'd have your brand conspiracy theories going up against what I think would definitely be a better resume in what Baylor's put together. So I think if there is a, a real hot debate, it would be Georgia winning, of course, and then one of those, uh, Georgia and Baylor winning, and then one of those two other upsets happening, either Cincinnati or Michigan losing. And then you have Alabama and Baylor for the fourth spot. Fourth spot. I think that could be a, a really crazy debate for 12 hours or so 
leading into uh, the announcement on Sunday. So I don't see it over Notre Dame. I don't see it over Oklahoma State or anything like that. I don't see it over Cincinnati. I think with a little bit of chaos, though, and a close loss, maybe that Alabama and Baylor could be the most hotly contested debate. Outside of that, I think it's pretty clean. You know, I think Oklahoma State needed to blow out Oklahoma to uh, have a chance to jump Cincinnati. So I think Cincinnati's in, in great shape as long as they win. Oklahoma State right there, unless Alabama beats Georgia, and then Notre Dame right behind them. So I don't see a whole lot of major debates outside of maybe seeding, unless there is more chaos. And I think Alabama versus Baylor would be the one to watch there. And, Matt, if Georgia does beat Alabama out of Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, or maybe even a Notre Dame, which one of those teams poses a bigger threat to Georgia? Oh, that's a good question. I, I certainly wouldn't pick any of them to necessarily stay within 10 points right now. All kind of similar teams, all really good on defense. Um, man, that's a tough call. I'd maybe lean Notre Dame just because of their big game experience, particularly against Georgia, losing by less than a touchdown twice. Cincinnati's got the better quarterback. Uh, that's a tough call. I, I don't have a strong lean either way. Maybe just the big game experience with Notre Dame, but you know, I'd pick Georgia by 14-17 to 17 against all three of them right now. I think getting Ohio State out of there right now, it, it, that 1980s, I think, is really starting to get in the minds of Georgia fans. Like, this is the year we can finally – make that what 1918 was to the Red Sox and 1908 was to the Cubs. We can finally bury that because I think that was the one team that really scared uh, really scared Georgia fans. And if they take care of business and get Alabama out of the picture, uh, man, it seems like it's pretty smooth sailing, doesn't it, despite as wild a year this has been. So, yeah, I think Georgia's in great shape. They want to they bury the Demons on Saturday, of course. And after that, you know, it, it's, it's hard to see them losing with what's going to be the other three uh, playoff teams we expect. So, um, yeah, no real strong lean, Ben. I know that's kind of a cop-out, but I guess I'd go Notre Dame if I had to pick one. But, again, they're all pretty similar teams in my opinion. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, our guest here on 3 Out. Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Always fun, boys. See ya. Appreciate it. Matt Smith joining us here on 3 Out. Much more to come. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you here, 3 and Out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, so much to get to here on the show. Craziness around college football. Billy Napier hired over the weekend, 39-12 and 12 overall record at Louisiana. He won the Sun Belt West in each of his four seasons as head coach. 32-5 and five the last three years has had him in the top 25. Has coached under Nick Saban, Davo Swinney. Uh, and took Furman to the 2001 National Championship game on the FCS level as a quarterback at Furman. So you look at the hire there, he comes in, and certainly been uh, one that Florida Gator fans were looking for. Had a number of names associated with potentially getting that job. It ends up being Billy Napier's job to take over. Let me just go ahead and let me just go ahead and call it what it is. I'm not gonna get on the radio and act like I was just all in for Billy Napier. Thank God I work with a guy by the name of BJ Bennett every day that kind of warmed me up to Billy Napier and what he's done since he's been at Louisiana. Then I kind of went through the track record and the resume and I see what type of uh, coaches he coached on the with Nick Saban, with Dabo Swinney, being able to get some big time players in there. Now Thing about Billy Napier is he's always wanted to be a coach. Came up in the coaching ranks. Obviously, you know, got the coaching uh, bug from his dad. Every I know, I know, the, I know, the, I know the the uh, the quote right now is you know, scared money don't make money. Well, he's got a bunch of it. I hope he's not scared when it come to you know going out there and making it happen. But I think that at the end of the day, Scott Strickland got the guy that Florida wanted. He's not the sexiest pick you're gonna hear. If you've never heard of Billy Napier, 
That that's that's understandable. If you don't watch Sun Belt football, you don't know who he is. But if you've had to play Louisiana out of conference, you know exactly who he is. You Iowa State knows who he is, and any other team they played out of conference knows who he is. And obviously, you look at you know, and the reason why he hasn't been introduced yet is because he's coaching in the Sun Belt Championship against App State. I will say this. The one thing that Billy Napier warned me over with is you got to have a guy that can recruit. It doesn't matter how good you are with the X and O's. It doesn't matter how good you are on one side of the ball. If you don't got the horses, it doesn't matter. So the one thing that Billy Napier did, you know, warn me over with is he's very, very confident. And just like a player who had to work himself up to get, become a big-time name, it's not like you just throw this, joke, this dude out there. He's coached under big-time – can't coach under a bigger name Nick Saban. And you see what Dabo Sweeney has done at Clemson. And obviously, he, you know, what he's done at Louisiana right now. So, yes, BJ, I do think Billy Napier is the guy. But, once again, Billy Napier can do no wrong because he hasn't coached any games. He hasn't been out there yet. Hasn't been to SC Media Days. So, he can do no wrong right now, Kevin. But you know, just like I know, the first sign of trouble, because it's going to be that, we're going to see what Billy Napier's really made of, but I, I do think they got the guy they wanted because I think the one thing that Dan Muller was lacking, even if he is a good coach, you didn't get the players. And I know we talked to Buddy Martin earlier talking about how he's made his money in the transfer portal. I just think that you're going to have to be able to get back in the top 10, hopefully top 15 in recruiting. We'll see what he can do. I think he's already been out there on the recruiting trail, Kevin, and I know he is, he is not allowed to say that we'll get the recruiting when the season is over. I can guarantee you that will not come out of his mouth. I think it's a great hire, uh, and I – I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that I was surprised there wasn't more of a sort of national buzz around Billy Napier. And, Kevin, you went through his resume. It's a guy that played quarterback at Furman, uh, won a couple of SOCON titles, uh, took Furman to the national championship game as an upperclassman. But coaching, he's been at Clemson with Davo Swinney. He's been at Alabama, coached wide receivers uh, for a number of years with Nick Saban. Uh, he's been an offensive coordinator at multiple places. He's still only, what, 42 or 43 yeah, years yeah. old? So. Mm -hmm. A very young guy. But what I'm impressed with most is what he's done with Louisiana. And Ben, you mentioned it. People should know what Louisiana is doing. And the reason is largely because of Billy Napier. This is a program that before he arrived had had three straight losing seasons. His first year, they're in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. His second year, they have 11 wins. His third year, they go 10-1. and one, And right now, they're 11-1. and one. I mean, he has turned Louisiana into one of the best programs in the country right now in terms of consistent winning. I mean, how many coaches right now have won more games in a row than Billy Napier? Billy Napier's won 11 games in a row. You know how many there are? There's two. There's Luke Fickle and Kirby Smart. Everybody else is looking up, including Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, at win streaks held by those guys and, and Billy Napier. So he's one of the hottest coaches in the country. He's an offensive mind. He's been an offensive coach his entire career. Again, played quarterback at Furman, uh, has been around the South. I think was, was at Arizona State for a year, but has been at uh, Alabama, Clemson, South Carolina State. So has been around the Deep South, uh, has recruiting ties here. Florida obviously wants to recruit Florida, but if you're going to recruit the South, you better recruit Louisiana, and he's obviously well entrenched there. Uh, I think he's done a great job with the Raging Cajuns. And I'll see if you agree here, Ben. 
I think it's a good thing that he's coaching his team this weekend in the championship game. That is a special opportunity. Louisiana's hosting App State in the Sun Belt title game. And if I'm a Florida fan, that's something that resonates with me. This guy got an opportunity of a lifetime. Might be the best job in the country. He took it. He's getting a pay raise. But he still wants to be there with his guys for an opportunity they earned to play for a championship. And Billy Napier's already recruiting for Florida. Has, has met with uh, uh, Evers, the quarterback recruit that Florida thinks might be the quarterback of the future. You know he's doing double duty. It's not like he's not all in with the Gators. But I think that's a good sign that I appreciate if I'm a Gator fan that Billy Napier wants to stick with Louisiana for one more game. Not going to coach the bowl game, but is going to be there for the Sun Belt title game. I just think you know, executive experience, has been in the national top 15, uh, recruiting success, has been with Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, is in his young 40s, talked about how humbled he was to be uh, the head coach at the University of Florida, has a reverence for the job. What what more? I mean, I, I think it's a great hire. I, ben, I'm, I'm looking. Last three years, quick math, I think you said it, Kevin, 21, 30, 32 and 5. The last three years. Now you could say, "Well, I want a guy like Ole Miss, like uh, Lane Kiffin, who's and, 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 been at and, Ole Miss." And some, and some of that thirty-two came, you know, came from the big. I think the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, it. beat Iowa State. Yeah, they made the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah. If you could have gotten Lincoln Riley, okay, I understand that. But, but, but this is a great hire by Florida. The thing about it is this: when you think about a guy in Billy Napier, is I mean, Kevin, something is, you know, if Florida, if Florida calls your phone, you're gonna pick it up. But you got to look this guy in the eye and say, "Are you ready for this, though?" And that's the thing that we don't ever factor in: is Florida is a premier coach at destination, but it's also about as most pressure field as you're going to get. You want to have a guy that wants to embody that pressure because now Billy Napier went from a guy who kind of – some people knew to everybody's going to know him now. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. You are the biggest coach in the state of Florida, and Urban Meyer is coaching there. Think about that. Urban Meyer is in Jacksonville, and he's lower than you because you at Florida. It used to be the other way around. So, I, I look, obviously, BJ and Kevin, you know, He's a part of the family now, so, you know, I could talk trash behind his back. I would never say it to his face. That's just how it goes when it comes to family members. But it's going to come down to can you get the guys in? And he's 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 uh, he said, he said, man, before we can win games, we got to build this program. And you like that. So I so far, so good. I mean, the whole scare Monday don't make no money. But the thing is, I do appreciate what he's doing with his current team because he loved those guys. He did recruit those guys. He's going to give them one more chance to go out there. Hopefully he gets another Gatorade bag. But the next day, he will be at that, uh, that, uh, you know, that press conference. We'll see what he has to say. But, uh, yeah, I think Scott Strickland, I think he got his guy. Well, I think obviously you look at the East where Georgia's sitting right now at the top. Everybody else, uh, I mean, Kentucky's got their coach linked to other jobs. Tennessee's got their coach potentially linked to other jobs. South Carolina's got their coach linked to other jobs. You're in a division where one team has not won an SEC game in two years. Uh, and Missouri uh, was okay. So I, I, there's a lot of upward mobility in that East to get you caught back up towards Georgia. I'm not saying Pat, but get you up that way. Uh, I'll be interested to see how quickly he can do that, given the transfer portal and some other some some items that are out there for him to use. Obviously recruiting, but immediacy of the transfer portal. Being yeah, and, and it's just a quick prediction, Kevin. My guess would be Florida is going to be pretty active in the transfer portal. You know, your 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 staff, your new staff is getting a late jump on the traditional recruiting cycle. Uh, you know, may not even be fully in place for a few more days after Saturday. So I think Florida will be very active in the transfer portal uh, over the next couple of months. Now we've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here, three and out on this Monday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Glad you are making us a part of your day. A whole lot of uh, news out there about college football and uh, college football coaching, but a little bit of uh, breaking news 
uh, out there as well. Uh, Marcelo Zuna received a 20-game suspension from Major League Baseball. That's retroactive to last year, meaning he's already served it. Uh, and he was on administrative leave uh, by the Braves. So that means he's eligible to play uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Braves still owe him three years' worth of salary. So now the decision is in the, uh, the Braves' court uh, as well. Braves released a statement kind of basically saying we support the commissioner and we're glad that Marcel Zuna has accepted responsibility for his actions and taken necessary measures to uh, to uh, to get help. Uh, three to six, uh, we've entered a, a pretrial diversion program, so that uh, would help matters out there. But, yeah, the Braves still own $53 million over the next three seasons. So if you're the Braves, given the off-the-field stuff, you can't just cut him or you're going to eat $53 million of salary. You could try to trade him or you can keep him on the team. Uh, interesting decision upcoming for the Atlanta Braves. So so one way or the other, whether you trade him or, or I guess, play him or cut him, he's still getting paid. I guess the only way to alleviate that salary would be to get a team to agree to a trade where they take the entire right. salary. Take the salary and, uh, and, and take it as part of a deal. So we'll see if there's a team out there willing to do that. I don't know what the Braves' temperature is in terms of keeping Marcel on the roster after what took place uh, off the field. Uh, last year, but we'll have to wait and see. But that is certainly an interesting development uh, here in the offseason for the Atlanta Braves that he has got a, a retroactive suspension uh, for off-the-field stuff, and he is eligible to come back and play, assuming he's healthy, and could be a piece in that Braves outfield if they either can't trade him or – I would say can't trade him. I, I just can't believe there's a way that you straight-up cut him and just eat $53 million. I mean, at the end of the day, this is business as usual. We'll see what happens, Kevin and BJ. But if I'm going to pay them, and it's going to be hard to get somebody to trade him because of the off-the-field stuff, if I'm paying him, find a way to get him back out there on the field. Well, we've got more to come here. It's three and out. Busy final hour as we look at certainly the transfer portal, coaching changes, uh, Georgia-Alabama coming up later this week in the SEC Championship as well. Going to be a wild week around college football. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here. 3 and Out, final hour of the show. Thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. We'll look at the transfer portal, which has gotten very, very busy. Early thoughts on Georgia and uh, Alabama coming up as well. But certainly today, it has been coaching carousel uh, all day long. Lincoln Riley out, going to Southern Cal. Billy Napier going to Florida. Duke and David Cutcliffe, kind of an interesting thought. I know people say, oh, David Cutcliffe, Duke, he did a wonderful job there. And a guy that shaped a lot of quarterbacks uh, over his career. That job is open. And now you see the ones that are still open, uh, LSU uh, and others, What's the carousel? What's the down the, the dominoes that fall as a result of those? Who leaves to take the Oklahoma job, and what job becomes open as a as a result of that? Uh, that's certainly going to be interesting. But uh, you hear names like Brent Venables, Josh Heupel, Mark Stoops, Shane Beamer, Mario Cristobal, Lane Kiffin, uh, Dave Aranda. These are all guys at very good programs right now. If any of those guys takes a job, that starts a domino effect. Uh, that, that leaves openings at other big-time jobs. And certainly when you have three and four guys linked around the SEC, could be very interesting to see how it all shapes up and what ends up popping open. It's really amazing that we're less than two and a half weeks away from the early signing period and Oklahoma doesn't have a head coach. LSU doesn't have a head coach. I mean, 
You may say it's Duke, a program in the ACC. Uh, yeah, two in the ACC Coastal. Duke and Virginia Tech don't yet have head coaches. Uh, Miami, we don't know what's going on with, with that situation there. Uh, and as Kevin, as you mentioned, I think it's a good point that people overlook. Every time a coaching change is made and a new hire comes in, that leaves a vacancy somewhere. So for all the talk of, okay, well, LSU is going to get Mark Stoops, and that will calm it down. Well, if that happens, now Kentucky doesn't have a head coach. Okay, well, they're going to get Ole Miss. Uh, they're going to get Lane Kiffin. Okay, well, now Ole Miss doesn't have a head coach, and it, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, you talk about Billy Napier going to Florida. Well, now Louisiana has a vacancy. They're in the national top 20. I mean, that's a big-time job. So, and I, what, what Akron about to be filled. So programs every level, Division One, Division Two, FCS, FBS, uh, are, are, are filling vacancies, but two of the bigger names in all of college football, Oklahoma and LSU, don't have coaches. And I have to imagine Oklahoma was blindsided by this. I know, I know we all were. I mean, you heard the rumors for a while that maybe, maybe there was some tangibility to this LSU talk, and then he comes out and says, Bedlam night, I'm not going to LSU, and everybody kind of takes a deep breath. Well, he wasn't lying. He's not going to LSU. He goes to SC. Yeah, he, didn't, he did not tell a lie yeah. uh, when he said that. He said, I'm not going to be the head coach at LSU, and he wasn't. So and then there you go. I've seen this reaction, and I, I don't know because we were talking about it in the show meeting. Is this more kind of SEC fans poking fun and saying, oh, you didn't want any of this, or is it the smart play that you're about to, if you're Oklahoma, move into a super-duper conference. Not a super conference. You're going to play Alabama. You're going to play Texas A&M. You're going to play Auburn. You're going to play LSU. You're going to play Georgia. You're going to play Florida in some form or fashion and Texas every year. And maybe if you want job security, job stability, it makes sense to kind of step away from that, go to the Pac-12 where you have Oregon, but you really don't have a dominant powerhouse. You have the history and tradition of SC. You're going to be making $110 million. We were looking at some of the contractual details. You're getting a house and a private jet and all kind of stuff. I mean, do you, do you agree with the folks pointing fingers saying you didn't want the SEC, or you do you agree with the work smarter, not harder mantra? Uh, yeah. Let me tell y'all fans something. Let me tell y'all on look at something. And, and, this, and, and, and I hope you guys take this the right way. Most people will never, ever be at the negotiating table. Most people will never, ever understand when you have leverage, lateral moves sometimes is your best move. Lincoln Riley didn't run from the SEC. Lincoln Riley saying, look, man, I'm used to being the biggest coach in a big-time conference. I don't want that to go away. So SC, right? I go to SC. I'm getting $110 million to move to Los Angeles. I get $6 million budget for a house. I get both of my houses. The man had two houses in Norman. I mean, I guess if he, you know, him and his wife, they stayed. I don't know what happened. They just got two different houses. I mean, I'm not getting nobody's personal uh, <laughs> situations. But the thing about it is, Kevin and BJ, is that's just smart business. If I'm saying to myself, look, man, I don't want to get paid to get beat up. I mean, Oklahoma saying every time we get in the college football playoff, you know who beat us up? An SEC school every single time. So I got to deal with these guys week in and week out. And I just lost. I just lost to Oklahoma State. I be losing to Kansas State sometimes, to Baylor sometimes. You telling me I want? I don't want to deal with that nonsense. So if you are, if you are Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley said I'm a big. Listen, big names attach themselves to big brand. I'm leaving Oklahoma. What's a bigger brand? Or even. Or, you know, right there the same level, SC. Because, BJ, we were saying this, dude, who does SC get? And we go, man, 
As he got Lincoln Riley, how they got him? 110 million. How did he get 110 million? Mel Tucker got 95. What has Mel Tucker done? Nothing. Nothing that Lincoln Riley's done. Mel Tucker ever won? Mel Tucker ever won this conference? Nope. Mel Tucker got back to back number one overall picks. Nope. Mel Tucker got back to back Heisman Trophy winners. That's Lincoln Riley. That's what Lincoln Riley is taking back to SC. Now, Lincoln Riley may never win a national championship in SC. Never won that championship in Oklahoma. But we're talking about Oklahoma every because every single year a coach will come up. Oh, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. So Mr. Steel, your coach is SC. Now, LSU, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Washington, Washington State. <laughs> you better get your guy now, because now Oklahoma is in the same position SC was. And we want your coach. And he ain't at Georgia, he ain't at Alabama, he ain't at Florida, he ain't at certain schools, Ohio State. And he ain't well, at, uh, you know, they, they could possibly go out there and snatch him. Well, guys, can't both things be true? I mean, yes. can't you say I made a business decision and you dodged the SEC? I mean, look, let's say he, let's say he just stays at Oklahoma. Okay, Lincoln, all the fans pat you on the back. Good job, buddy. You're not dodging the SEC, and in two years he could be fired. Why? Because he didn't win 10 games. Look, I, I'm just saying, you, you look at the SEC, and, and again, the SEC who put out a tweet touting the fact that 13 out of 14 teams – are going bowl game, uh, going to bowl games. Never mind that half of those are seven and five or worse. Well, I'm well, sorry, half of those well, are six and six. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll overlook that for a second. Uh, but I think literally of the uh, of the, yeah. uh, I think seven of the teams that are going bowling are seven and five or worse. Five of them are six and six. But let's not let that get in the way of a good narrative uh, when they are all going bowling. But you're going to a league where 13 teams are going bowling. It is uber competitive, and we just have seen in the last handful of years multiple coaches get fired within seasons of winning a national championship. And I got news for you, SEC fans. You can be arrogant all you want and say, aha, Texas and Oklahoma about to find out what it's all about. They are going to win some games too. And as BJ said, somebody has to lose. I think the days of doing what Georgia just did are going to be few and yes, far between. very, very few. I think get used to what we're seeing now, which is Alabama with a loss or two. A couple, this is parody. This is what we talked about. Is the SEC still the best league? Probably, but guess what? They're all getting pretty close to one another. And what does that give you? Seven and five and six and six. I'm sorry, but that's what it gets you. Well, we well right. Well, I mean, and, 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 and so, so if I'm Lincoln Riley, I, do I walk into that? No. Or do I go to SC and say? I can be in Los Angeles. I can make just as much money, no, and no, I got to be I got to beat Oregon. Yeah, that's how you look at it. it because people hate this. People get mad when we make correlations from football or coaching into other walks yes. of life. But if you're at your job and you get presented with two opportunities, one where you know it's going to be tougher, you know it's going to be tougher. That's inarguable. Whatever data or stats you have, this upcoming opportunity or challenge is going to be more difficult. This other one is going to pay you more Come on. and is going to be less difficult. Yep. In what world would you go with option A? Uh, I, but for, so for folks who want to, how can he do that? Don't coaches want to challenge themselves? Yes, but they also want to have a job. They also want to have some stability. They also want to be somewhere for a long time, like we all do. I think everybody wants job security and stability. I don't view this the same way a lot of fans, at least on the internet, seem to be saying, oh, he's scared of competition. Well, you know why they can say that? Well, because they don't have to coach. Yeah. No, he's, he's making exactly. a business decision. No, 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 no. He's making the smart decision. Like, it's like, and we all have to go somewhere, right? We all got to go somewhere. We all travel to the same spot. If somebody says, hey, Kevin, how you getting there? Hey, man, I'm going to drive. Hey, man, we're going to put you on a private jet. No, he's not going to say, no, 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 no. I like to drive. No. I, th I think people don't understand what, what Lincoln Riley just did. Lincoln Riley has leverage. 
He went to Oklahoma and said, hey, man, they give me 110. They give me access to a private jet every day of the year. They giving me $6 million for a housing budget, and they, and they paying for both my houses. They giving me all that, and they giving me more money, and they giving me the beach. And I'm one I mean, of the most famous people. The, I, I mean, well, no, no. But, but, but even that being said, I think it's just the realization of what is coming, right? You're 10-2 in the Big 12. I mean, that's not bad. I'm not, I'm not that's, try- a great, and again, that's a great and I'm, season. And I'm not trying to diminish that. Yeah. But 10-2 for Oklahoma the last eight or nine years, that is a, quote, down season. That's about to become, I think, the norm. Yep. Or, or maybe a great season. And I'm not saying it's not because Oklahoma. It's because, good Lord. Look at how many teams you're going to have to end up uh, end up playing who all have $100 million coaches, who all have multi-million dollar uh, recruiting budgets. I just think both things can be true. Did he make a good business decision? Yes. yes. Did he dodge the SEC? Yes. yes but there's nothing wrong hold with on, that hold either on, way. Hold, I, I, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And let's not act like the SEC is adding Oklahoma and Texas. You know why? Because Mizzou, Mizzou and Texas A&M, they didn't do it. They've been, they been went to the Big 12 trying to pull the guys. But this, this is what it really comes down to. Lincoln Riley is a headliner. I'm not a co-star. I am the star. And I'm used to being the star with star players. Spencer Riley's in the transfer portal. If he goes to SC, I would not be surprised. Caleb Williams, I don't know who the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. Something you said. Bryce Young, DJU, JT Daniels, where they from? They from Cali. They from L.A. I guarantee you Lincoln Riley's there. They don't leave the state. And a lot of this has to do with the, the, the four biggest states as far as, like, uh, recruiting in, 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 uh, in high school is Florida, Georgia, Texas, and California. Well, mo- and most of that is on the West Coast. That's where he's going to be. Lincoln Riley said, I, I want to be the guy in the conference. I don't want to be one of the guys in the conference. But think I about this, about, about the West Coast reference, okay? If you're at LSU within – and I don't, I don't have a map in front of me, I'm guessing – within four 400 miles – there are what seven or eight other championship contenders yep. or, 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 or teams who feel like they are within 500 miles of SC. How many other championship contenders are there? Zero. So you are the superpower. You are the big dog. You are right there, bright lights, big city, and you have the history and tradition. I mean, I think sometimes people look at <laughs> SC through this five-year vacuum. I, I don't, it's don't, SC. They, they, they don't like, what in the hell are people? It's SC. Well, I mean, here's the, here's an interesting here's the interesting part I, I I find about the Oklahoma opening here as well. And I mean, there was talk about Texas and their discontent uh, with their head coaching situation. But you talk about the guy. Oh, Josh Heupel, Mark Stoops. Shane Beamer. Okay, we know the SEC is expanding. What is that going to look like? Well, we've heard about pod systems. Do we know what those pods are going to look like? Oh. Do I know who I'm going to have to play? Oh. So, again, again, <laughs> if I'm Josh Heupel, let's say I want to go home. Am I leaving Tennessee to go to Oklahoma and have to play the same people or maybe play a, a tougher schedule? Yeah, even if worse. I'm, I'm saying if I'm Shane Beamer, am I leaving South Carolina to go to Oklahoma and say, okay, I'll be there in the Big 12 for a year and then – I may have to play Alabama every year. I may have to play. I don't know. I don't know what's going to look. I think there's, there, it's going to be interesting to see who takes that job at Oklahoma, not because they're scared, because there's, you're going to the SEC, but in essence, do you leave an SEC job for an SEC job and you don't know what that SEC job well, is going to entail? I mean, right? like, who's Oklahoma's yes. common opponents every year? Who's their crossover game? A&M, Alabama, who is, Georgia. Who are going to be some games that the SEC would like to see Oklahoma play every year? If I want to take a Texas job, who is some team? You don't know any of that. So you kind of don't know what you're getting into other than I've already been in this thing, 
and now I'm going to have to recruit against the guys I was already recruiting. Let me ask you this real quick. Over here, it, it, to me, it, it, it's not necessarily a lateral move, no. but it is a move into the it's a, it's, going it's, to it's, a, it's a smart business move. For all of this talk about the SEC is going to dominate and control college football, is what just happened with Lincoln Riley an example of maybe schools that aren't in the SEC yes. having more value yes. moving forward because they won't be competing against well, each a, other. No, 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 no. It's a seismic shift. Like, one, one man just made the seismic shift when you talk about college football because he shows you what USC is. Like, people go, hey, man, how do I know if brands are really, really big? But Miami, know? Michigan, Michigan State, Florida State, Clemson, Virginia no, Tech. No, but, no, but think about what USC just did. Just, just imagine if Lincoln Riley is the first – First guy to get, like, Coach Helton leaves, you get you get Lincoln Riley. No, they waited. They said, dude, we're going to get our guy. Who you getting? we getting one of the best coaches in college football, bar none. So I just I just think that when people get to talking about what he did, okay, listen, if I could dodge the SEC, I'm trying to dodge that bullet because guess what? When the Pac-12 find themselves back into the, the Well, the, the new name of the game, playoff. I mean, well, that's it. That's what you just said, Ben. The new name of the game is getting into the playoffs. Yep. And, again, I think you look at it through the prism of, of college basketball. I know people say it devalues the regular season. I don't buy that. I think getting into the playoff will become the benchmark, right, much like it is in college basketball. Hey, there are certain programs. Hey, you're trying to keep your job in college basketball? What do you need to do? Hey, man, we're getting to the NCAA tournament. Unless you're Duke – or Kansas, or North Carolina, or Gonzaga right now, or Michigan State, not getting into the NCAA tournament and winning a game every so often is probably enough to help you keep your job. Now, in football, do you want to win it? Yes. But if I can show I'm getting in, and I'm winning, and I'm moving towards there, and I'm a constant player on the national stage getting spotlight, I am not getting fired. And, again, I, I think that is the name of the game. Do I want to win the Pac-12? Sure. Do I want to be in the college football playoff? Absolutely. Where is it easier to do? Over here, uh, you know, in, in, in the Pac-12. I, I can do that and B, you don't think if he, it's not the SEC, but you don't think if Lincoln Riley wins the Pac-12 and gets to the playoff, he ain't going to be the man? around. College? I mean, of course. I, so I think it's just a new way, as, as Ben said, of doing things around college football. We'll come back. We'll talk about that, certainly how this has affected the transfer portal and more. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Love to hear from you here all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. And uh, your thoughts on the coaching carousel. Uh, the transfer portal has certainly uh, been active. Uh, and I think this is just going to be what it is. Uh, we already saw today Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech, highly recruited running back, entered the transfer portal. Spencer Rattler is in the transfer portal, uh, among some other big names. So you're seeing it right here in the state. And I think, uh, B.J. Ben. You're going to see this be a bigger part of coaching. It is how many guys do we – obviously they have these meetings, Ben. How many guys are graduating? Yep. How many guys are going to leave us early? Do we expect yep. uh, to go to the NFL? And I think you have now the third layer. How many guys are going to leave us through the transfer portal because they are not happy with playing time? They're not happy with us. They're not happy with – for whatever reason. Uh, how many of them are going to leave us? And if you're a new coach, especially a la a Lincoln Riley, whoever takes over at LSU, uh, certainly what you're talking about uh, there at Florida, how quickly can you get guys that fit your system that have already played college football, mind you, that you already have collegiate tape on through the transfer portal to make yourself better almost immediately? One thing you need to know about recruiting, uh, you always got people behind the scenes, these analysts, they know who's – Going to be doing what? You're talking about a guy like Jameer Gibbs. This is what Jameer Gibbs did to, have to, to let these coaches know. I will not go from a priority to a liability just because you're you making me look like something. You don't want to give me the rock, I'm going to leave. 
Because the thing about coaches is the hardest thing to do is to get them and to keep them. You got to get them, and you got to keep them happy to keep them there. The thing about Jameer Gibbs is I remember Jameer Gibbs tried on about 35 different uh, college uniforms. Because what they do is when you go there, you put it on that way. When he come, you already got him there. Now, when he had on that orange and blue, I was like, whoop, but he ended up, you know, in that golden blue. Now, he's back out there on the market. Once again, Jameer, when Jameer Gibbs say he's back out on the market, if you are in charge of watching the transfer portal, you are saying to yourself, call this young man's number right now. His, his, the way he plays football, I think he leads the nation, a top five nation, an all-purpose yard, which means he can do it all with that ball in his hand. That boy can dance with that ball in his hands, and he hasn't been used up that much. You got to be able to satisfy both fronts. I know that's hard as a coach, but he's a running back, and he could have went anywhere, chose to go to Georgia Tech. Now, if you Jeff Collins, you're saying to yourself, look, man, that's bad. That's a bad look on you because how did you not keep your best player? He is your best player. He is your best player. Well, he was your best player. So I do, I do think that kind of stuff shapes it. And you talk about a Spencer Rattler, right? Spencer Rattler was on that QB1 thing on Netflix. I knew the kid. I mean, I watched him come up, but he's back out there. <clears throat> the coach that recruited him has moved on. Now, they, now. I don't, know, I don't know if he fell out of love with, with Lincoln Riley, what may have you, but do understand this. You got to make sure that when it comes to that transfer portal, too, you get the right guy. Getting the guy in the transfer portal is like getting the coach because I, I am not throwing shade. You want to make sure that you're getting the guy that's ready to go. You don't want to JT Daniels because it sets your team back. Because always remember, if the guys already on campus aren't getting a shot because you want a guy that's coming from another school and he don't work out, you don't want to have to reclaim the locker room. But if a Jameer Gibbs, <clears throat> Jameer, I am not recruiting you right now. I don't want to do no recruiting infractions. That young man is going to have, have his pick of the litter just like a Spencer Rattler. But, BJ, I look at the kid, uh, uh, Jermaine, the, Jermaine, uh, the Jermaine kid down there in, um, in Florida State. Oh, Jermaine Johnson Jermaine from Georgia, Johnson. yeah. When it works out. Because this is something that, that people didn't – you talk about Jonathan Grenard that was at Florida a couple of years ago that led the team in sacks. Well, he was in the transfer portal. Now, when you got it – but the, but the thing was, Ty Grantham had recruited him out of high school. He just ended up coming back because he had one more year. Transfer portal is gonna be is gonna be it. Kevin, something you said when you talk about if I'm a, if I'm a coach, I'm saying look, I want to get guys from high school, but I want to get transfer portal kids because I want you to see what you up against. Sometimes the guys on campus, a guy like Jameer Gills, he's hungry. He coming in ready to play. I ain't got no time to play. And another thing too. You only want to do transfer portal one time. You don't want to be a, a career transfer portal dude. The next place Jameer Gibbs goes, he, it's going to have to work out for him. Hopefully, and, and, and obviously it will. To keep, but like I said, you put the ball in his hands, he can flat out get it done. So, yes, the transfer portal is going to decide a lot of things. And if you are some of these coaches, man, if I got a guy that's already ready to go, I mean, it's the name of the game. You got to deal with two things you got to deal with in college. You got to deal with your, your, you gotta deal with your, uh, your individual room. You got and you got to deal with transfer portal slash recruiting class. Well, BJ, I just think this is going to be the new nature of college football, where you get your good mix of high school guys. Now, if I'm Nick Saban, I have a well-established program. If I'm Kirby Smart, do I utilize the transfer portal? Yeah, probably a little bit, but I'm going to get the top guys in high school and develop them. Yep. Why? Because I can afford to do that. You say that, but look at Alabama. Okay, The SEC's leading receiver this year, Jameson Williams, he transferred from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at uh, Henry Otoo on, on, on defense for Alabama. He transferred from Tennessee. Yep. I mean, I still think you're going to see it. Georgia, obviously, you has had vote. success. Yeah, um, I, I I do think that this is a new element that is going to 
have the potential to remake some teams year to year pretty quickly. But it, but it makes it makes it unpredictable because yes. I think you look at Mel Tucker in Michigan State. They used one of the the biggest users of the transfer portal. Now, were they awful on defense? Yes, but at the end of the day, they went from an average team to what ended up with ten wins. Yep. Very so, volatile, though. Well, I mean, it is very volatile. I get it, but you also turned your program around like that, and I think that's what makes it attractive to coaches, obviously, uh, because this isn't just all grad transfers where they have one year. This is guys that have two, three years of eligibility left sometimes. Yes. Well, and I also uh, so, think this. I've heard some people say, well, you know. It's not necessarily going to be the star players going into the transfer portal, and I don't think that's true. Of course it, not. It, it could be a star player in waiting, like a Jamison Williams from Ohio State, who might have been their third or fourth best receiver, comes to Alabama, and, and I say best in terms of production, where you are on the depth chart, comes to Alabama, leads the league in receiving. You know, you think about the Burroughs, Fields, I mean, all these guys, and – I think you look at a player like Jameer Gibbs, for whatever the reason, maybe it was the team losing, maybe it was the lack of touches, maybe it was the offensive scheme. Jameer Gibbs is one of the 50 best players in college football. Like, he's a guy that if he goes to the right system and is showcased, he could be a first-round pick. Spencer Rattler got benched at Oklahoma, but his numbers weren't terrible. They just had two great quarterbacks, and Riley decided to go with Caleb Williams. You're telling me Spencer Rattler couldn't go to a Miami or a Cincinnati or in, in, a, a, a Georgia and Ole Miss and be a top-ten pick in next year's NFL draft? I mean, you're going to see whether it's because of coaching changes, coordinator styles, depth charts, recruiting, injuries. You're going to see a wide variety of reasons. Guys want to go back closer to home, whatever it is. You're going to see a wide variety of reasons guys transfer, but there will be elite players in the transfer portal. Now, you know, the the uh, the downside, you know, obviously the high school recruiting takes a big hit, which is really difficult. I think guys can sometimes, been like you said, get caught up in the transfer portal and think, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to get 20 new offers and I'm going to go star somewhere else. Well, understand that unless you're that A-name yeah. player, you're coming in behind the power curve probably. If you, if where, you ever come yeah, out. Yeah, where you're going to have to earn every rep you get. So I think there are positives, there are negatives, there are ups, there are downs. But, Kevin, to your point, it is here. Go refresh Twitter. Go to ESPN and go to the college football section. Yeah. I mean, guys who are stars are entering the portal. And the thing about it is this too, Kevin and BJ, just know this. Look. It took me four years to figure things out in Florida. It took me four years. Two different coaches. It took me four years. If, if this is the time of the transfer portal, who knows? For any player that say, oh, man, it would have ended up the same, they are lying to you because you don't know. We've all done things that we thought was going to work out better than, than it did, and then we had to move on from it. Well, if I'm 18 years old, I'm making the biggest decision of my life, but I'm doing this based off what I was told and what I was sold. See, people ain't going to say that now. So what would your advice be? I mean, I know it's hard to give generic advice. Each yeah. situation is is unique. But what would you tell a 18- or 19-year-old that is maybe overwhelmed by all this? Do what's best for you. Because any coach that tell you that to not do what's best for you, and if you're going to transfer, make sure, listen, do it as early as possible and only do it one time. And I always know this. Sometimes we cater to the wrong people. And I'm talking about the players. Sometimes you think you got to cater to these big-time programs. The only two quarterbacks they got going in the first round that I've seen is Matt Corral and the kid from Liberty. Always know. The, the notion of they will find you is different than it was back when I played. They can really find you now. And I just think sometimes in the recruiting trail, you want the people that really, really want you, not just being a slot filler. And I, and I get it. You, it's hard to figure that out. But everybody think their kid is going to the big leagues because you're in the big leagues. Uh-uh. Everybody wants to go D1. I get it. 
Everybody thinks they're going to be Chase Young. Everybody thinks they're going to be Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney until you see them. See, that's what recruiting really is. I want to get out there and see these guys. I want to see what a five-star lineman looks like. I want to see what a five-star quarterback looks like. And if you're not that, you know, don't think that you less than. Just say, hey, man, either I want to go to a place that's already developed or I want to go to a place to become a big name and help it develop. You can do both. But when it comes to this Kevin and BJ, just know. It's, listen, the only, only place that's fair, what, what they say fair is a place where they judge pigs. It is, it is not going to be there for you. It's not supposed to be there. If you put your hat back in that transfer portal, you may never come out. Or those teams you thought were less attractive start looking more attractive because at the end of the day, a coach asks you two things. <laughs> you want to go to college for free? Yeah. Do you want to play football? Yeah. Both of those are, yeah. Any school should fit. Because I know, because forget what you see on the field. You see how many guys on the sideline? Most of those guys got the best tickets in the house, and they ain't going to play. So, when it comes to that transfer portal, yes, it's going to reshape how we doing. But I, wanna, I, I wish I could get a list every day of how many guys in the transfer portal. I bet it's going to be thick, you know, uh, you know uh, thick like a phone book. Because you're like, that dude, that dude. Yes, because every player doesn't fit every scheme. So, sometimes you could be at a place that you fit a certain scheme, and we'll see what happens. You ain't Lincoln Riley. You ain't getting $110 million. Unfortunately, they still look at you as an amateur. But your coach is getting $110 million, $6 million for a budget for a house, getting both of his houses paid for un- unlimited access to private jets. But, but if you can get if you can get in one of these schools and you know it, it works out for you, so be it. But Jameer Gibbs, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. I am not talking to you. I'm talking to the guy who's who, who's a running back who thinks he's better than Jameer Gibbs. Well, <laughs> keep on thinking because Jameer Gibbs can do it all. We'll see. But Jameer Gibbs, I mean, I'm gonna be wait- just like, just like we know what was going on with uh, Lincoln Riley, I bet you Jameer Gibbs' phone number is already rung. He's probably already made the decision. It'll be breaking news probably in the next coming days. That kid will not be out there long. Yeah, he will not. Uh, certainly that news happening this morning from Jameer Gibbs himself there on Twitter. Now, as Ben said, former Georgia Tech running back into the transfer portal. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you here on the show. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you along here, three and out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot of coaching changes going on. A lot of guys hitting that transfer portal uh, as well. But, again, uh, that's not going to slow down the build-up to the SEC championship game. Early line, Georgia minus six and a half. Georgia has dominated uh, everybody they have played. Uh, BJ and Ben, Alabama has really had to struggle down the stretch to, uh, to finish off their season with just one loss. What's your kind of – early read here on this game going into the SEC championship game? Uh, If I was a Georgia fan, all of the kind of positive affirmation and all the talk of Alabama only has one way to keep it close, that would make me nervous. I mean, we're talking about Alabama. We're talking about Nick Saban. We're talking about a stage that they've been at their best on for a decade plus. And it can can kind of be framed as a market correction sort of angle where – Alabama has played, take out the New Mexico State game, they've probably played three or four below average games in a row. Each time Alabama does that, to me, it makes it more likely their next game will be more of a return to form, where Alabama plays well, where the offensive line blocks, where defensively they're not giving up blown coverages. Um, The game on Saturday... Maybe you kind of just throw it away. It's the Iron Bowl. Anything goes. I mean, anytime Alabama plays Auburn, 
at Jordan Hare, it's seemingly just absolutely nuts, whether it's the kick six or, you know, the overtimes, the two-point conversion thing or the Bo Nix game. I mean, it's just weird. But Alabama has not looked right. That is inarguable. Alabama has not looked right. If I was a Georgia fan, I would be more confident about Saturday had Alabama won the Iron Bowl 37-10. to Because the fact that they played poorly – means they're going back to the drawing board. Nick Saban is, you know, whatever he does, he's doing it times two now. And I, I, I think it's unlikely that Alabama has three, four, five consecutive subpar performances in a row. And that brings us to the next question. If Alabama plays their best, is that good enough to beat Georgia's best? And I, probably not, maybe not. I mean, if Georgia plays an A-plus game – I. I don't know how you counter that. Maybe Bryce Young has to have an A-plus game. I don't know. Uh, but Georgia has earned the right to be the favorite in this matchup. But all of this talk of, well, Alabama doesn't have much of a chance and they're going to be lucky to keep it within 10, that would make me nervous if I'm a fan of the Bulldogs. I think too, I think too often the times when it comes to Alabama, we've, developed, we've uh, developed this level of expectation for them that when they don't, quote, look like themselves, Alabama's lost one game by a field goal. That's all they've done. I mean, now, that is true. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's, it, isn't it crazy, right? Certain teams, it's how they look winning. Other teams, you just want to win. Alabama lost one game. Now, when you play a team a lot, sometimes it's just a reflection of they just know what they're up against. Unless you knew what they was up against in Alabama. Texas A&M knew what they was up against in Alabama. Auburn, they knew what they was up against. Alabama lost Texas A&M. Texas A&M lost to LSU. I just think that when you look at this Alabama team, what makes them dangerous is they've seen it all and done it all. We get criticized for winning. That's how much. Now, I will say this about Georgia. Georgia ain't used to this. Georgia ain't used to being undefeated at this point. Georgia ain't used to coming in, being, you know, with Alabama being the underdog. But Nick Saban goes, look, man, I never said we can't be beat. I said you got to beat us. I never said that we can't be outplayed. You just got to do it for four quarters. Because this is the thing about Alabama. If Alabama loses, it'll say, oh, man, they're going to look at all these games they almost lost. But what if Alabama wins? Then it shows, wait a minute, Georgia has a weakness? Yeah. Georgia's, dumb. Georgia's only giving up, like, what, 83, 93 points the whole season, something crazy like that? Their defense is crazy. But I will say this, BJ, when we're talking about Georgia as a team, we're talking about that defense first and foremost. Now, that, that offense plays complementary football, Right. But if, if, that, if Alabama can come out there and they can establish, you know, that offense and then Alabama and then just say Georgia's defense kind of look halfway human, is Georgia's offense built to go back and forth? Because we haven't seen it. It's yet to be seen. But when people say Georgia doesn't need this game, yes, they do. They need it for confidence. Because if Georgia loses to Alabama, how much momentum does that give them? You don't just throw it away. Oh, man, we lost to Alabama, but we're still in the college football playoff. Alabama is the one common denominator. Either you got to beat them to win it or you got to beat them to get in it. And for Georgia, they are already in. They have 99% chance of getting their in. But if Alabama can show why they are still the top dog, no offense to Georgia, I think that's what college football is because no matter what, Nick Saban goes, I ain't going nowhere. I had a down well, year because I lost by three points to Texas A&M, and I haven't looked as dominant, but – Georgia is that team. I'm not taking nothing from it, but I just think Alabama is the one, is the one you know question mark on anybody's schedule to say, look, man, until you've been out there with them, you can't talk about what they can't do 
because they only lost one. They've lost one time in the last two years. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I look at it and say, look, Georgia's defense is good. Alabama's defense is good. Uh, it may be a race to ten points. Whoever can get it uh, there in the SEC championship game. I, I think it's as you said when you talk about championship caliber teams, and you would say this about the Patriots. Uh, sorry to bring it up, but like what they did to the Falcons is good teams find a way, right? All, Alabama was outplayed for 58 minutes and 30 seconds on Saturday night for, for pretty much the entirety of that game. Yep. Auburn was outplaying them, and Alabama outplayed them the final minute and a half and got it to overtime. That's what good teams do, yep. right? I mean, you, you could play a bad game, you're still in the ball game, and when it comes time to step up, they do it. Now, sometimes that could be a bad way to play. You say, well, we'll just step up. Well, sometimes you don't, but – more often than not, those great programs can play bad games, but they're still there. They're st- just give them a chance. Give them that crack in the door, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll run through it. And I think that's what you saw a little bit in the Iron Bowl, where Auburn was, was plugging along. That ball game was over. And you run out of bounds. It seems kind of innocuous at the time. You say, <laughs> oh, you ran out of bounds. That's okay. It's third and short. All you got to do is get the first down. And Alabama's not going to have enough timeouts, and the game's over. And they take you for a loss, call timeout, and a drive that probably, even if you go three and out, should have taken a minute and a half, took about 30 seconds. And you left the door open, and, and Alabama jumped right through. And that's what good programs do. I, I, I'm i more interested to see what this defense versus defense matchup is going to be because I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of points scored. I know if Alabama needs a drive, you feel good about what Nick Saban coach teams can do in, in the clutch, but – I think this is going to be an excellent football game. I, I, I think it's going to be very low scoring. At least that's how I see it here on Monday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I think it's going to be a great game. And your point about Alabama finding ways to win, but having done so without playing their best, again, goes back to why I would feel a little nervous if I'm a Georgia fan because Alabama – has not yet played their best football of the season. They haven't. And you wonder, is that coming? And, and you said something, Ben, that, that made me look up some stats. You said for all the talk about Alabama's this and that and they shouldn't and they couldn't and they won't, they've lost one game by a walk-off field goal. And I went and looked at the stats. The way we talk about Alabama, you would think they're above average offensively maybe average, above average defensively, they're number seven in the nation in total offense and number seven in the nation in total defense. And depending upon your perspective, they might have the best offensive player in the country in Bryce Young and the best defensive player in the country in Will Anderson. And they still have Nick Saban. So for for all of this kind of Alabama's done, they have no shot, they've been terrible talk, that would make me a little bit nervous. And I'm not saying which way I'm going to pick. I haven't even decided yet. I haven't gone in-depth enough into the, into the matchup. But Georgia hasn't had a bad game yet. Alabama has had multiple bad games against good teams, and they've won. Mm-hmm. Just about every one of them. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't win against A&M. I don't think Georgia's had a bad game yet. I mean, if you want to phrase it, what was Georgia's worst game this year? The Clemson game? Where the where they didn't score, but mm-hmm. he, but even then, defensively, you held Clemson to 180 total yards. Yeah. So Georgia has not had a game where the defense hasn't been there or or, or hasn't played well. So I, I I think there's a chance Alabama is more in this than people think. All I'm saying is we're gonna see who's built for the moment, regardless of what happens or doesn't happen. I just think that when you look at when you look at this Alabama team. Alabama gets Alabama gets criticized for the fact that they haven't looked like their dominant selves. You know what Georgia hasn't done? Georgia can't say they beat Alabama. Now, can Georgia beat them? Yeah, 
I think Georgia can. But can do it and have done it is different things. Because one thing I do know about football, the main thing you need more than anything is confidence. And if Alabama beats Georgia, what would that do to Georgia's confidence moving forward? You, you, you're going to have to wait and see. But Nick Saban is the best coach at situation of football they're going to find themselves in a nice situation come Saturday. I think it's going to be a fantastic football game. One quick note before we step aside. One more coaching uh, vacancy off the market. Washington has a coach. Uh, they have hired Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State. So uh, Washington is now off the board as far as a P5 job that is open. We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Monday night football coming up later tonight. Seattle against the football team uh, there from Washington. So a little Monday night football, but college football craziness out there with the coaching uh, carousel that is well underway, their transfer portal, and uh, what, 16 days until early signing period uh, is upon us, BJ and Ben. Yeah, and with tonight, was reading online some uh, maybe a big night tonight for DJ Dallas, uh, former Glen Academy star. So he's had some uh, great moments, but I think you might see him uh, get a number of touches tonight, which would be uh, great. But I, look, I feel like if I'm away from my phone for like an hour, I've missed so much news that I can't even comprehend it because of just the college football coaching carousel, the rumors. As Kevin said, Washington hires a coach last segment, the transfer portal, the recruiting updates. I mean, Ben, just go ahead and tell us. I know you know it all. Who's going to be LSU's head coach? Who's going to be Oklahoma's head coach? Who's going to be Virginia? Just so we don't have to wait, just just tell us. I mean, I think at the end of the day, LSU is probably going to end up getting a guy like Lane Kiffin just so he could be another, even more of a thorn, uh, you know, in, in Alabama's side. And Nick said, when you think about, I mean, Oklahoma, man, I mean, people talking about, people talking about Bob Venables, Venables. People talking about, people talking about Bob Stoops. What's wrong with his brother Mark? I mean, you like the Stoops, right? One of them wants to coach. The other one, he's just there because the other guy left. I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to That was kind of nice. Like, but I, but hey. I will say this. Brent Venables, listen, I know you've been under Dabo Swing. I know you waiting on Dabo to leave Clemson. Go on up to Oklahoma, man. They'll treat you right, man. And maybe you can meet uh, Clemson in the, in the college football playoff and beat up on them Clemson I Tigers. Did, I find it interesting. It's like, hey, Lincoln Riley's going to Southern Cal. Usually, hey, we'll promote a, an assistant coach. No, Bob's like, excuse me. I got I, it. I'll coach the bowl game. It's fine. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you filling in. And if y'all need me to stay for a couple need, of years. If anybody needs yeah. me, I'm going to be working a big, big case also, for the FBI. Also, quickly of note, uh, Clay Helton's first, I guess, staff addition officially, Kevin Whitley. Interim okay. head coach is going to stay on the staff there in uh, Statesboro. So uh, after playing the interim role, is going to remain there on staff with uh, Clay Helton at Georgia Southern. We've got more to come tomorrow here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Missed any of the show? Go to ESPNCoastal.com. Our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube.